Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Standing on My Soapbox, the daily rant and radio show. We talk about all of the good, bad, and the ugly of current events. Join your host, Scott Fullerton, and co-host, Craig Hurley. You, our listeners, are invited to call in and stand on our soapbox with us. Call 347-989-0126 between 4 and 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Friday. That's 347-989-0126. Now, here are your host and creator, Scott Fullerton, and co-host, Craig Hurley. Well, thank you, Katie. Welcome, everyone, to Standing on My Soapbox. It is Monday, April 29th. We're looking forward to another great week of talk radio here. I am your host, Scott Fullerton. In just a little bit, I'll be joined by my co-host, the talented actor and writer, Mr. Craig Hurley. Uh, we are your Monday through Friday call-in radio show right here. We hope you'll give us a call, talk about the news, politics, pop culture happenings of the day, whatever's on your mind. You can give us a call here at 347-989-0126. That's 347-989-0126. So let's step on up to the soapbox and start talking. Mr. Craig Hurley, how the heck are you? Good. How are you, sir? I am doing pretty darn well. Uh, where in the world is Carmen Sandiaco? Are you doing okay on your trip across country? Yeah, it's been a, an odd trip. Um, yeah, what a, what a, what's the, is it a Bob Dylan song? I can't, I can't think right now. Uh, but uh, a yeah, strange, odd trip it's been um, over the past, I don't know, week driving across this country. So it's been... Um, an odd trip, um, but uh, we're doing okay. Yeah, good, we're doing okay. Good. Glad to hear it. We hit snow yesterday in Colorado. Finds along the way besides Cracker Barrel. Um, let's see. Where did we go? I don't. I don't. I, I don't know. Actually, I am trying to trying to think of a, a small restaurant that we stopped at. We we are fans of Cracker Barrel, so. <laughs> I don't nothing else that <laughs> like memorable, though. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, we we actually stopped at um a, a Denny's. I haven't been at a Denny's in forever. Um we stopped oh at the number the number one Denny's in Utah. Uh so and it's right after Selena, which is I mean it's in Selena, Utah. And uh it's it's right after if you're coming from Colorado, it's it's after hundred and three miles of absolutely nothing. Up not a thing, no services, no nothing, <laughs> and uh, right. and you know I'm 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 just I'm completely blown away at people that are stuck in their their own little worlds, like they never get out of wherever it is that they were actually born, and yet they tend to tend to judge um, uh, others on wanting to come here, and they think that we're overpopulated. Dude, I am traveling across this country, and I have come across section after section after section of 50 miles, 100 miles, just of nothing, of absolutely freaking nothing. And we do not have an overpopulation problem here. Um, in fact, we could actually hold probably the entire planet worth of people. Uh, we have so much land out here, and there's so much opportunity. Um, for people to do whatever it is they want to. And currently we have such a problem with our, with our food and with our water 
we need people. We need farmers. We need people to do these jobs. And, I, you know, and I'm just like, and the people that are like, they stole our jobs. Any immigrants that are coming in? Um, I, 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 what, what job exactly are you talking about? Are, are you a landscaper? Are, 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 are you a white guy in the United States? A white guy in the United States complaining about immigrants coming here and taking your landscaping job? That's the best you could do here? Are you serious? You have, this is a land of opportunity, and you were born here. You better be able to do something else, something really good, and you can get a great education. So, and it's basically given to you because you're, you're, you were born here. So I, I'm, I'm a little baffled at, at what I see and then what I hear coming from people. So I'm like, you know, guys, travel across the freaking United States, and you'll see what I see. Um, and I, I'm, I, and I'm mainly. I'm really uh, uh, concerned about the um, uh, the kid in in Colorado. We were actually in Colorado when the the kid. He's 23 years old, and I can't think of his name. Um, that uh, plowed into uh, 28 cars with a semi. Um, he didn't do it intentionally. He was not under the influence uh, influence of drugs or alcohol. Um, from what they can tell there was a problem with the brakes on the truck and that area we were actually in that area when the accident happened we were in the exact area like five minutes ten minutes in either direction and we could have completely been involved and i i i i'm feeling really 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 bad for him he's a an uh, a documented immigrant who is from cuba He's 23 years old. He's here on a work visa, and that's his that's his job is to drive semis. Um, I'm I'm not sure what exactly happened. Uh, in, in they're doing an investigation. So, um, but what they have found is that he didn't do it. There was no malicious intent. He did, he was just trying to stop his truck. So, um, but along that route. It's a really steep. It's like a six percent um, grade on 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 that side of the hill. So he's coming down that hill, and his brakes are going out. There's all sorts of areas where you can um, where there's there's a truck um, a, a, a runaway truck um, uh, off ramps where they have this. It's all set up with all this sand and and all these barrels so that these semis that are out of control because it happens all the time in the mountains. Um, they can just, you know, go off the side of the road. That's the thing that they're probably going to be investigating is like how many times once he realized that there was a problem with the truck, how many times did he try to get off the road? And what was all of the, um, I, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Roel Lazaro Aguilera Maderos is how you, I, I, I'm butchering his name, and I'm really sorry about that. And I, I feel really bad because he's in prison, and but they're not charging him yet um, uh, because, you know, they have to do this investigation. And he right. didn't do anything wrong from what I can tell. Um, uh, the only thing that, that uh, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm like a professional driver. I, I'm not being arrogant about this. I actually have trophies from cars that I have raced on tracks. And at first place trophies, time trial, trial, first place trophies. And, and so I, I, I'm, I'm a little different when it comes to 
things like that. I, a lot of people will panic when they get into a situation like that. A, a little while back, we had Lexus and their and Toyota having their electrical problems with their cars. And the cars, I don't know if you remember this, their cars would speed up all by themselves. And they would get up to like 140 miles an hour. Yeah, they would get up to like 140 miles an hour. And these people are freaking out and they all end up dying because they don't know what to do when they get into a situation like that. And they panic. And, 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 you know, accordingly, I actually, dude, you're looking at 140 miles an hour and no way of stopping the car. Um, you're probably most likely going to panic. You're not going to, you're going to think you're going to die right then. And most likely you are going to die. So (laughs) what you have to do is, is gain some composure. And this happened to a, to a a sheriff in Los Angeles. I remember, I remember this story. Um, He had, he was in a Lexus and he was on the phone with the sheriff's department. He was on the phone with the equivalent of uh, Toyota's OnStar. He was on the phone and, and trying to tell you know, trying to figure this out. Me personally, if if you got a problem with your automobile, you, you don't want to damage yourself and you don't want to damage other people. You especially don't want to injure other people. And so what I would do in that situation is grind my wheels off. I would literally go up again at 140 miles an hour. You see NASCAR drivers do it all day long, dude. So 140 miles an hour really is not that fast. And you just go over to the to the barrier, to the concrete barrier, and slot, and just keep tapping the barrier, just keep hitting the barrier until your freaking wheels grind the hell off, and then your car will stop. And if you wipe out, then you wipe out. You know, and most likely you will survive this, especially if you're driving a semi. Most likely you're going to survive this accident. Um, but get that car off the road, or get that semi off the road. Immediately, when you find out, when you instantly figure out that you have a problem, figure out how to get that car off the road. Figure out how to grind those wheels off. And I, so I, I think that's what the investigation for this kid's going to be, and is is what his attempts were to stop the autumn. I mean, the the semi before he actually was kind of forced to plow into people because they. I know that area. I know that area really well. It's right. Right after the um, uh, right after Sixth Street on I seventy and and I I know this area really well it it kind of like the the, the roadway um, there's there's no shoulder so uh, underneath that bridge especially um, there's no shoulder right there there's no emergency area for a, a truck to go or for a car to go so it, you, you you know as far as as far as the engineering of all this and I've got a problem with the fucking engineers right now. Um, I've got a really, really, really serious problem with all, all of the engineers over the past 50 years, uh, including my dad. Um, I'm, I'm like, I, 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 you guys engineered the hell out of this place. Thanks very much. The infrastructure's falling apart. We have no emergency lanes. We have no way of, of actually, uh, of actually living here. Our water supply is getting messed up. Our food supply is getting messed up. You guys have engineered the hell out of this place, and I'm really, really, really tired of it. And they've gotten paid. High, high, big, big, huge money to do this. Huge, millions of dollars, taxpayer money, federal money, um, state money. Uh, all of these things were given to these engineers to design and build this shit. And it, it's falling the fuck apart, excuse my language, but it pisses me the hell off. So, and especially when we're dealing with the stuff that we're dealing with. I'm driving all over this country and I'm checking out every single area that I can 
And the, the construction practices are a joke, are an absolute joke. So all of this is encompassing. Um, uh, you know, one thing leads to another. If this kid had the kid that was driving the, um, the, the truck, um, they'll, they'll see what the communication was. If he was calling his dispatcher or if he was communicating with other drivers, they'll see what, what that was. And they'll see what he tried to do in order to stop his truck. Um, but right, they can measure skid marks and things like that. Know how fast he was going, and oh no, he was doing like ninety miles an hour, and he couldn't stop. He could not stop his truck. So that's why it's involuntary manslaughter. That's why it's not uh, a vehicular man. I mean, yeah, involuntary vehicular manslaughter. That's why it's not murder. It's not intentional. So, um, you know, he he literally had a problem with his truck. So it's going to be about the manufacturer, and it's going to be about the dispatcher, and it's going to be about the maintenance on the vehicle. And it's also going to be about what safety things he were he was taught, what safety measures he was taught while while getting his his uh, I think it's a Class C, right? That you need a, a special license to drive a, a freaking truck. And yeah, I think Class I'm, two is truck. I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not exactly what it's sure. I've got a bunch of uh, truck driver friends, and you know they uh, please call in three four seven nine eight nine zero one two six. Um, and you know, we can, we can talk about this on, on, on what types of license you needed and, and what type of certification you need in order to drive a truck. But this guy was completely cleared. He was here on a work visa. So he knows how to drive a truck. Um, the problem is, is teaching people not to panic while in a situation where they might die or they may kill somebody else. So it, it, we have to figure out, you know, wh- what to teach them in order to, like I said, grind the wheels off the truck. So that it's not moving anymore, you know, wreck the truck if you have to, you know, and, and yeah, you're putting yourself in danger, but it's better than putting everybody else in danger and then possibly serving life in prison for involuntary manslaughter. So, or vehicular manslaughter. So, you know, I, I feel really, really bad for this kid. And I'm hoping that the other people that are in prison with him are, are treating him accordingly. I mean, he, this kid has full remorse. He didn't do it on purpose. He doesn't really belong in jail. He, I, I, I'm just, I feel really, really bad for him. And, and like right. I said, I hope the other prisoners are, are treating him accordingly. I, I'm pretty sure that they have him in some type of isolation. And they're also probably looking at suicide watch because he's, he's, dude, he's miserable. I, I saw him on, on the news and in front of the judge and he's like, he's, he's, he's crying. He's miserable. He didn't do this on purpose, and he didn't intend for anybody to die. He didn't intend for any explosions. He didn't intend any of this. He's just doing his job, and right. I, I'm just—I I feel so bad for this kid. Um, and I'm pretty sure he's got a really good lawyer, so that's a good thing. Um, uh, but uh, I, I still, you know, like I said, all of this is encompassing, and it pisses me off that we don't have things set up the way they need to be set up so that things like this don't happen. We do have the technology. We do have the knowledge. We do have all of this. I feel like the $6 million man again, we have the technology. We can rebuild it. Um, but I, I, I just feel like, like we really need to pay attention to these things and so that these right. like, accidents and stuff like this don't happen and that, We've got such a clusterfuck of stuff going on right now, and it's all caused by the people who have set up all of this the whole time. 
And, and I'm like, guys, you need to reconfigure all of this, and you have to plan for these things to happen. And you have to plan for them to happen so that they don't happen. It's called be prepared, right? right? That, isn't that Cub Scout motto? I, you know, I'm just oh, just so frustrated with, with everything that I'm witnessing and then, and then the things that are happening. And I'm like, this doesn't need to be this way, and it shouldn't be this way. We can do a hell of a lot better, guys. The human race is a smart race. We can do, well, most of us. Um, but, um, yeah, we, we can do um, uh, better than what we're doing currently. And um, uh, I'm sorry, Katie's talking to me. Um, uh, no, I'll go do it. Uh, anyway. Um, so I'd rather, um, that, uh, uh, we concentrate as a, as a collective, um, on making this place a better place for our future generations and also, uh, our current, our present day. Right. So, I have an interesting kind of side story that relates, but doesn't relate to any of that at all. Um, over here in Youngstown, we have a company that's been around, believe it or not, since 1903. They, it's a, called Falcon Transportation. And back in 1903, they were transporting stuff with horse and buggy back in the day. But right. um, they uh, closed their doors without warning this weekend here in Northeast Ohio. Um, they said it's part of the big part of their contract was for automakers. And, of course, Lordstown shut down here a month and a half ago. So they lost right. a huge client there, but they decided just to close their doors without telling anyone except for an email this weekend, uh, losing 700 jobs and stranding about 529 drivers all over the country, uh, which was it sucked to begin with. But the really cool thing is all of these truckers got together and started being each other and started arranging for transportation to get all these drivers home. So they nice. really started wrapping around each other. But it's nice. like, yeah, can you yeah, believe they got that's what I was talking about with branding these stupid truckers all over the country? Um, wow. A shit way to do business to begin with. But just uh, sit yeah. on these truckers, like I said, looking out for each other and helping these guys get home. So I thought that was nah, that's, an encouraging yeah, that's sign really cool. and a shitty story. But, uh, yeah, another thing in Youngstown, Ohio, losing 700 jobs, um, partly because of the Lordstown thing and GM. Thank you, GM. But, uh, yeah. yeah didn't, so, Obama bail all, didn't Obama bail everybody out? He did. GM uh, okay, well, what, what happened to that money? What happened to that money? Is it just shiesty-ass corporations again taking advantage? Well, that's the Is that what's thing. going on? All the billionaires? billion-dollar profit of, of $4 billion profit margin this year. Um, I know that the employees with their with their um, share, and I think we talked about it, but the employee um, bonus this year for profit sharing was $10,000 per employee from GM. So you would okay. think they would be able to scale that back and be able to bring some people on board instead of closing down a plant of 15,000 people. Um, yeah, no, the only reason they're closing it down is so that they can keep the money for themselves. I'm really tired exactly. of these billionaires. Oh, by the way, uh, our, our idiot in chief uh, going off on Jussie Smollett, really? Third-rate actor? Wow, dude, it takes one to know one, doesn't it, you fucking piece of shit? 
you orange piece of shit. I'm tired of him, dude. I will destroy him on stage. I will destroy him on film. This guy is a third-rate actor. Really? Really? It's Like I said, it takes one to know one. Unfucking believable That's what he called yeah, he, Paul, Did you hear me? <laughs> did I, you hear that? I didn't. I did not hear that. What was that? Yeah. Where did that even come up? Yeah. No. At one of the at the rally. At one of what? At the Wisconsin rally, since he was close to yeah, Chicago. Yeah, I think it, I think it came up in the Wisconsin rally where he and he was talking shit about Chicago too. Um, it, dude, right. I, it, as far as we understand about the Justice Smollett thing. Is that is that it really did happen? It really did freaking happen. So it just didn't happen the way that the Chicago Police Department said it happened, and it didn't happen the way that other people have said it happened. But it really did freaking happen. So I'm I'm not sure what the hell all these other people are talking about, and they believe, dude. I, I, oh, I, I, what's his face? Uh, 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 Jim Jeffries. Um, said that uh, if uh, if you think that his straight talking is is a reason for him to be in office, then you are just stupider than shit. I am so tired of all of these people being like, oh, he's a straight talker. No, he ain't no straight talker. This guy is a liar. He has lied literally in the past two years over 10,000 times. 10,000 yeah, times he has lied to the United States public. Just past the 10,000 mark and 5,000, that's just been since September of last year. Wow. So seven months later. These billionaires, like, these billionaires are a joke, man. All of these billionaires are a joke. Tesla's shutting down stuff. Tesla's laying off people. Um, and like I said in Altered State, I, I believe that they're just, you know, uh, just messing with people's lives and they don't care about anybody but themselves. And, you know, they're all planning on getting the hell out of here and using us in the process. So I'm, I'm just – all of these billionaires are, are a joke no matter what. I mean, even uh, – look, uh, uh, look at Elon Musk and, and the electric cars. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're trying to help. We're trying to make it a zero emissions. Oh, bullshit. Where are you going to put those supercells? Where are you going to put those cells that you have for your, for your batteries? Where are you going to put them into a landfill? You can't recycle them. What are you going to do with them? They're just as bad as coal. So what the hell? I, you know, and now he's, he's going into SpaceX, so there you go. You know, he's not interested in this planet. He's interested in using this planet, just like all the rest of them. Well, and I really don't get it. We're the ones that one make a billion. Whether you're going to have battery cells or you're going to have fuel, actual fuel, you got to have some way to run it. So both can't be bad. Uh, you have to uh, have Dude, hem, uh, no, 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 Henry Ford's, Henry Ford's first automobile, the quadricycle, which was a four-cylinder, ran on hemp oil. Hemp oil has 114 octane. We're talking weed, dude, and it freaking fires up. Oh, my God, 114 octane. It's racing fuel. It's airplane fuel. Uh, I, I just don't I, I don't understand. We don't need coal. We don't need batteries. We don't need any of this shit. We can run it off of a plant that grows wild all across the United States. Well, they need to start working on some technology for it then because I don't see anyone doing it. No, Henry Ford's Henry Ford's first automobile ran on that. The technology's already there. It's been there forever. Right. But that's been, been back there since in what? the creation of a car. <laughs> what year was that? Nineteen forty one? 
Who's the worst guy? No, no, the the quadricycle was. No, quadricycle was built in 1906 or something like that. We're over we're over a hundred year mark on on him running. He wanted everybody to be able to afford a car, and he also wanted everybody to be able to grow their own fuel, to not be reliant on any other type of fuel. He actually created a car out of hemp. He made his own car out of hemp, I believe. I'm not sure. He may have. He may have, because hemp wood is the strongest natural fiber known to man. I don't know. I haven't haven't looked at that. Yeah, he he made a plastic body hood and fenders from hemp. Ford did. Yep, back in 1931. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's while, that's amazing. But no one's yep. really done anything. And why that. we haven't, why we haven't implemented any of that since, you know, we're talking almost 100 years, right? 1941. With because the all the billionaires control everything going on. They kept, they thought yep. fuel was good. All the Texas yep. millionaires wanted to keep their millions. Yep. Gas is good. Oh, and make and make more millions. Well, there's a there's a Texas billionaire right now, uh, uh, T Boone Pickens, who he got all of his money from oil. And he turned and like easily ten years ago. He's the wind and guy. Was now, like, he's, wind guy now? he's he's a wind oh. and he and a water. He is he is mainly water. Um, he's buying up a bunch of pieces of property from the Mississippi all the way to Texas, so that he can actually have water that comes from the Mississippi River and goes into Texas, because water is becoming scarce. So, and that's genius. Right. And it's actually, you know, helping out what we're doing here right. instead of going against what we're trying to do here. So we need to not be so reliant on this on this shit. Yeah, um, I know T. Boone Pickens, he had, he had a lot of good ideas. Um, I'd like to see them start doing this in a different place. I mean, who's the guy now that's trying to get Trump impeached? I'm trying to figure out what good he does. Um they have this money. They need to be doing good, and uh, I, I just hope that they they use that for other things besides all political things. It's all about lobbyists. It's all about lobbyists, right. and it's about keeping people under control and oppressing the shit out of them. I, you know, dude, we the people, when we get tired <laughs> of being oppressed, we show it. <laughs> when we get fed up, right. we show it. Currently, I think it's HBO. That's it. Might be Netflix. That's um, running the Romanovs. They're they're a classic example of what we the people do when we get tired of being abused and oppressed. They the Romanovs are a classic example. Nope. Well said. Exactly. Yeah, I think Boom Pickens. He was Gulf Oil. I think wasn't he, or one of those back yeah. back in the day. I think. Yep. Yeah, he's like a major, like Houston, right? You know, probably involved with the Bushes as well. They, they've been shifting. Even the Bush family has been shifting off of oil. That's, that's an oil family. Yeah, well, now he does hedge fund stuff, too, and that helps. That's where everyone's making their money now is hedge funds off everyone else's money. That's Dude, I heard this. I, uh, Dana, Dana Carvey, I've been listening to a lot of uh, comedy channels on, on okay. uh, Sirius XM. Because for the drive, uh, it's 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 I you know it's that or podcasts, and uh, because I'm not, I, I'm I'm not it, music for me 
will tend to there's certain songs that will actually put me to sleep. So you know I, I can't be driving and sleeping. Yeah. So um, you know, or I'm thinking about something that happened in my life, you know, and and I'm I'm off days instead of concentrating on the road. Um, so uh, I've been listening to a lot of comedy, and Dana Carvey did did a stand up a little while back, and just just like last year, and I think it was 2017, um, so two years ago, and and he did an excellent impersonation of of number 45. And he also did an impersonation of, of George W. And I've said this all along, that you need somebody to stand up to this bully. And if you don't have somebody to stand up to this bully, then you are going to lose against this bully. So um, right. he was like, it would have been great to have, you know, somebody like instead of Jeb Bush, because Jeb just cowered and, and folded when the bully okay. went up against him. And, and, you know, if he's going to call you names, you got to call him names back. And he was like, and I can't do an impersonation of him. Dana Carvey is just an amazing uh, mimic and, uh, and comedian. Uh, but he, he was like, yeah, if George W. had been up there, he would have said something like, yeah, where'd you get that haircut? Stupid cut? Because it's stupidiculous. So, you know, he would have been making <laughs> up words and shit. But at least it would have been funny. And at least it would have been going up against the bully. It would have shut him down. Right. If you can't, That's you know, if the bully can't do anything. worry with the current slate of Democratic candidates is they're all a little too nice. I don't see it. I mean, um, Bernie's not nice, I wouldn't say. But like Pete Buttigieg, who I love, I can't see him being rude back to Trump, which is something someone's going to need to do during this time. But it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. He's a he's a nice guy, but but also I think that Mayor Pete um, may be able to do that. He he may be able to, even though he's nice. Excuse me. I would like to see it, but we'll see. Yeah. All right. Well, while you're coughing, we're at thirty minute mark. We're going to take a quick break. Then we'll be back in just a couple seconds, guys. We're going to play a little bit of Z Machine Boys in the Band. I just got out the smoke. Give us a call, 347-989-0126, right here, listening to Left of Straight Radio Network. Here we go. I can tell you I ain't never heard before. So baby, just leave your conscience here at the door We'll be giving you your number Won't ask for your name Cause you won't need one around here anymore Everybody's looking happy Everybody wants to play When we get lonely We can drink it away And forget we're growing older Nothing's gone the way that you planned but I learned to get by, so I don't need your help. I got everything I'm needing all by myself. Feeling better than anything that I've ever felt. Playing with the boys in the band. Boys in the band.
baby, he's over and he's adored. Giving you life and death and everything more. But when you get your peace and quiet, no love and no fame, it's when you start feeling so insecure. But everybody wants to know you when you're always giving face. Who could deny you when you're leather and lace? Doing what your daddy told you, laying in the palm of his hand. Well, I don't mean to be rude, but I don't need your help. I got everything I'm needing all by myself. Feeling better than anything that I've ever felt. Playing with the boys in the band. Boys in the band. about sunflower seeds keeping me awake if you want to keep <laughs> mentally alert while you're driving you need okay. to take you need to eat sunflower seeds and they have to not the seeds themselves but the kind in the shell and you have right. to have wherever you deposit the shells arm lengths away and just that repetitive movement from cracking the shells put taking them out of your mouth and putting them into whatever 
container you're putting into. Um, it keeps your mind going so you won't fall asleep and you'll pay attention to the road even if you have other stuff distracting you. Isn't it was it? proven at a Cal Poly San Luis Obispo City. And I have used it many times. It actually works. One of the things I have learned is you don't do it having salted one because your lips perk up and you can't speak afterwards because you purse up with so much salt in your mouth. But uh, it's, a, it's a good trick for long driving roads, road trips. Isn't that a distraction? No. It's actually you're not allowed. You're not. You're not supposed to eat. You're not supposed to eat or drink anything while you're driving because you look down when that happens. So I'm. I'm. You know. You're at least distracted for a second. Mm, I don't know. Maybe I understand. Second, I understand what I... you're saying that that you're actually doing yeah. something so that your your brain and your body are like I'm doing something other than right. just zoning out on the road. Um, exactly. You know. But I, yeah, I, I totally. I get that. Um, that you're active while you're sitting there. But um, it's still it's kind of a distraction to be eating. I mean, what if you drop that sunflower seed in your lap? You know, then you're looking down and you're reaching for it, and yeah. Then you just have to leave it there. That's all. You, you just have, have to leave, leave it there. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's why I don't. You should get out of your car and all these seeds fall on the floor. That'd be funny. I really do not like to eat in the car because then whatever you ate, it ends up smelling. Like your car ends up smelling like that. Like you drop it in McDonald's fry. Right. And that McDonald's fry, dude, it's there years later, and your your car smells like McDonald's forever. So I'm exactly. I'm one of those people that's like, eh, really veer away from eating in the automobile. Yeah, I try not to. I do it on occasion, but I try not to whenever possible. Speaking of food, did you hear that Burger King is testing the um, Impossible Whopper? Yeah, uh, yeah. The, no, locations? they they already ran the veggie burger. Yeah. They they ran it a, a little while ago and they're not testing it now. Now they're going to implement it into their whole menu because it was such a success. Speaking you of know success, what I learned about the billion, Impossible billion dollars on um, Avengers. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Exactly. Oh, I learned about the Impossible Burger on the um, the Wahlburger show. You ever have you ever seen that Wahlburger show or heard of the Wahlburger yeah. restaurant? Yeah. I haven't gone to the Wahlburger restaurant, but I have seen the show. They're the ones that have kind of started really getting that popular. They they took that Impossible Burger and brought it cross country, in all their restaurants, and said it's really really good. And so I tried it. There's a Wahlburgers in Cleveland that I tried, and I tried the Impossible, and it really does taste kind of hamburgerish. I mean, it's not um, hamburgerish, but it's more kind of a, than not. There's a restaurant in in Chicago um, called the Dog House. That is on Lincoln, and it's up um, it's up on the north end of Chicago. Uh, it's right across the street from um, Victory Gardens, and where Katie just did the Abuelas. And uh, um, they have a veggie. They have an Impossible Dog, and they have an Impossible Burger, and they are both veggie. Veg, it's a veggie dog, and it's a veggie burger. And dude, it's the best freaking burger i've ever had in my life it's so good and it's I a veggie thought it burger was good. Yeah, yeah i thought it was very good i never heard of a veggie hot dog that's interesting yeah yeah i didn't try the veggie hot dog i i only tried their their regular brats they're freaking great so i don't normally eat pig either and and you know it's it's one of those things that uh if it's prepared or if it's right in front of me then yeah i'm gonna eat it i'm not gonna be disrespectful right. to the cook so 
And but it's an actual company. I think it's called like Impossible Foods or something. So they're going to start going across the country a little more. They said I first learned about it from Wahlburgers, and they really were the first early adopters of it. You saw it on the TV show, but now I guess Burger King loved it. Tested in St. Louis, and it went really good. So now, like you said, they're bringing it everywhere, which is kind of cool. We can use to get a little more meat out of our diets. I I am a carnivore. I'm not going to give it up completely, but I don't mind cutting back. That's a good thing. You know, steak takes, I don't know how many days to get through. Beef. Yeah, that's a long time. Takes days. Yeah, where vegetables, they're immediately into your system. Immediately, like within hours. Right. They're broken down quick. Yeah. I like that. I mean, like I said, I try to, I, I am a meat eater, but I try to, I love vegetables and I love fruit, so I try to eat as much as I can. I like almost every vegetable. There's a lot of fruits I don't right. like, but uh, I eat almost every vegetable and uh, I, I enjoy them quite a bit. Couldn't have That couldn't be all I had. I need to have my meat on occasion, but I don't mind cutting back at all. I am currently eating biscuits and gravy with a turkey patty. Oh, oh. <laughs> I told you on another show, I could go cross country having nothing but biscuits, gravy, and chicken fried steak. That'd be my dream mm-hmm. vacation. Drive yep. cross country, find every little dive and diner, and have nothing but biscuits and gravy and chicken fried steak all across the country. I would like to I thank Cracker that. Barrel. Except their gravy. Yeah. Probably the worst of all the biscuits and gravies I have, their gravy is the worst. You have to add a good amount of salt and pepper to make it really good. Oh, I don't know. um, It's pretty spicy here. What I'm eating right now is pretty spicy. Yeah. That's good. Most of my Cracker Barrel experiences with their gravy is very bland, their country gravy. That's one of my least favorite of of biscuits and gravy. But I still have them every time, and I have their grits every time because I like good grits whenever I can find good grits. So, and oh, dude, I don't. Eat, I, I barely eat chicken. Look, we're, we're turning it into a foodie show. Awesome, um, but I barely eat chicken, and they are running. They have this the the new um, Southern fried chicken meal. Oh, 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 oh my god! Nice, it's so good, so good. Nice. They've added they've added it to their menu as a as a permanent thing. Go Cracker Barrel! I told you. I'm happy with the Cracker Barrel. They have their little foil meals they bring a couple times a year out where they cook everything in a foil, all their vegetables yep. and meat and their stuff. That stuff's good, too. Yeah, don't they have my, a catfish have, during, I think they have a catfish during that time, and, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I'm not a seafood guy, but I'll take your word on that one. Not Welcome a big to standing, standing on my soapbox where we talk just about food. <laughs> Culinary edition. That's that song. <laughs> Hey, um, speaking of that, just for the heck of this as, as an offshoot, um, I'm a huge foodie. Obviously, I do a lot of it in my other show. And so I, the worst cooks in America on Food Network, Celebrity Editions going on right now. Right. And uh, one of the contestants this year is Jim J. Bullock. Remember him from the with Ted oh, yeah, on from uh, Too Close for Comfort? He's a really good comfort, friend, yeah. a friend of mine. So he's going to be on the show when I'm in Palm Springs. But, uh, nice. yeah, Jim J. Bullock's on there, and he's a lot of fun. I love having him on there. But it's I've, been, I've always it's thought been that he should – I've always thought that he wasn't really – I mean, you know, too close for comfort. Yeah, he was a regular on that. But I, I, I've always felt like he hasn't been given enough. I, I think we, we haven't seen enough of, 
of him in the entertainment. No, he's, he's done some wild stuff. I don't know if you remember, but he did a talk show with Tammy Faye Baker, of all people. Do you remember that? Right. Yep. He actually got friends with Tammy Faye, Jim Baker's wife, Christian ministry guy that scandaled away jillions of dollars from people. Yeah. And Tammy Faye with her big eyelashes or whatever. He actually did a talk show with her for a while. They were friends, which I thought was fascinating. And uh, he, then he was in that Hollywood Squares forever, too. He's had some weird stuff. But you're right. Yeah, that's, that's shows, my point. I don't it's think he's ever done as much acting as he could have. I think you're right on that. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's different. It's different, you know, being on a reality show or being on a being a host on on something. That's not. That's right. not really. That's not acting. It's just not. Right. Um, you know, you're you're currently talking to a, a Shakespearean trained at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and at the Chicago Academy for Performing Visual Arts for for high school and college. So um, I've got a little bit of an idea of what the hell acting is about. And really, all that stuff, you know, and any of the Hollywood squares and all that. That's there's no acting involved, and there's no acting right. involved on hosting a reality show either. No, that's not acting. I don't think anyone calls no. it acting, really. I don't think anyone. Oh no, yeah, no, there's people out there yeah. that think that, that that you know, just like number forty-five, they think that he's a freaking actor. No, he's not. Hmm. Horrible. No, nah, that's television host. Whole different thing. Uh, hey, what even, about even spy Macaulay ship? Macaulay Culkin? Spy ship from Russia and the whales. You hear about that at all? You hear about the spying whales from Russia? No. Ooh, Isn't it a movie plot? Stuff. Isn't it a movie plot? You think? You think it was? Isn't that like a 007 happened. plot? You would think so, but it's actually happening. There's some fishermen off of Norway's northern coast. Last week, they spotted a beluga whale wearing a harness with mounts wow. for a camera. Wow. And they believe it was trained by the Russian military. They they helped get the harness off this animal, and it said made in St. Petersburg or something, the little camera mount that was on it. Wow. But they say that uh, um, they think the whales came from Murnansk, Russia, and uh, was trained by the Russian Navy. They said the Navy's been known to train beluga whales to conduct military operations like guarding naval bases and helping divers find lots of equipment, but now they right. think they're actually spying with people by putting these harnesses and like GoPro cameras on them. How Wasn't that like an episode of Flipper? That? Wasn't it that an episode like of Flipper where he where he had a bomb attached to him and he went up underneath a boat or something and got stuck to the boat? I know this is a movie. I've seen it before. <laughs> it's, it's not like the Russians it's came up becoming with science fact. Science fiction is becoming science fact for the Russians. I think yeah. that's hilarious. Cracks yep. me up. Too I'm pretty sure that was an episode of Flipper. I'm where sure they were trying to get Flipper to blow up some boats. With a whale or a dolphin in it. Yeah. <laughs> Probably one of the Save Orca movies. What was those uh, Saving Willie movies or whatever? Finding Willie? Yeah, Free Willie. Back in the day? Free, free Willie. Yeah. It was probably one of the Free Willie free Willy Part 6 or something was saving the uh, world from... What I don't like is what I don't like is the beluga's choice in in um, uh, you know which country it's actually going to work for. So because beluga whales are really freaking smart, so I'm I'm a little upset with its choice. It's working for Russia and it's not working for the United States. Come on. Exactly. What's wrong with that? I don't like that at all. Uh. Uh-uh. 
well, you know, just on like on this on land, the same shit's got to be going on in the water. We know that dolphins and that whales are the smartest ones there, and that they control um, a bunch of the other species, like sharks. So, and we know that when orcas, you know, killer whales, when they move into an area, that the sharks disappear. They literally disappear because they're getting out of dodge. They're they're leaving because they're going to get killed because the orca's smarter and controls them. Go orca. Yeah, we had a show. We had a whole segment on that a while back on the uh-huh. differences between the whole things. I thought that was very fascinating. Fascinating stuff on that. Did you? All right. What that else we, we can't have to really talk tell about the difference here? between porpoises, porpoise and whales, and dolphins. It's the teeth and the blowholes, right? Is that what we decided? Yep. Yep. That's what Faxo said. Yeah, they're all whales, yeah. um, but but it breaks down into subcategories depending on what they have. It breaks down, you know, if they have teeth and it, depending on how many blowholes. Because like a baleen whale will have two blowholes and he has, or he or she, sorry, they um, have um, uh, baleen instead of, instead of teeth, which is like a filter. And it's like a mop. Right. And it, all it does is suck up all these little tiny particles, including all the plastics that we're loading into the into the ocean we're awesome we humans we're awesome <laughs> yeah we, um, we uh, do our sea life right that's for sure i got not got bad news got bad news uh and also a little bit of other bad news um that i should have said on friday uh well just now um john singleton died and, oh uh, they said they were pulling off life support today yeah and we're seeing that. yeah he he died. And um, Ken Kercheval, um, I, I don't mean to just jump off of, you know, John, he's just as important, um, but uh, Ken Kercheval died. Uh, and Ken Kercheval was on Dallas, and he right. also played he my dad. Yeah. yeah. Yep. He also played my dad on Highway to Heaven uh, when I did the oh, episode really? of Highway to Heaven. Yeah, so you can go and look on YouTube or whatever the hell. And see Ken Kercheval playing my dad. Um, Ken, I also wrote about Ken in, in 27 and All Washed Up. Um, he was uh, an interesting cat. I only got to hang out with him for, you know, like a week and a half. But um, definitely an interesting cat. Um, very, very, very into his craft. And as far as the art of acting is concerned, uh, always wanted to make sure that he had every line perfect um and the way that the director or the producer wanted it um at least that was my that was my experience with him um you know so i you know i don't know how he acted on dallas uh, or behaved on dallas uh, but i would assume that it's the exact same way that i'm talking about right now and uh i we're just and they're dropping dude they're dropping like crazy they are you were with him on yep. Highway to Heaven in 1988. You remember all the way back to 1988? Good on you. Yeah. I can't yeah. remember that far back. What? I said I can't remember back to 1988. Oh, dude. I've got, I've got this wicked memory for some reason. I, I, dude, I, you know, you'd think after all the weed that I've smoked that I, it wouldn't, it, I wouldn't have a memory. Um, but, no, it has nothing to do with um, memory loss. So, it's just short-term memory. 
He came uh, back Whoopi to Goldberg. Indiana. He died in Indiana where he was born. He was born in Indiana and he died in Indiana. Who, Ken? That's kind of yeah, full, yeah, kind of full circle. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Bad no, I, I, go, but I, I, I can remember. Weird. I remember uh, details of a lot of stuff. I, my brain's weird. I've got this 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 like trap. Uh, you know, I, I remember details on a whole bunch of stuff. I'm, it, it, it's strange to me, too. Um, Whoopi Goldberg just posted about John Singleton, um, that he shook the world with his vision and made Boys in the Hood at 23 years old, a man of integrity and a class act, a great director, and condone, condolences to his family. So that's what He's a producer on Shaft. Said. He did... Yep. Poetic Justice back there, Hustle and Flow, so many great things. So, yeah, as a director, he was crazy. Um, man, that's it's sad to hear. I, I did hear earlier today they were going to take him off life support to see what happens. So, obviously, we'll see what happens. Sorry for his family. Dude, what's with uh, everybody stroking out? Everybody, Everybody's stroking out, man. I think we're all under a tremendous amount of stress. I think this I think world right. has, yeah, I think the world has definitely become a stressful, more stressful place. Um, and aren't we all just trying to live? I don't know what, what is the deal? Exactly. I'm like, I'm, what, can't we all just like, you know, uh, kind of help each other get through all this? It's a freaking nightmare in the first place. And then we're adding a whole bunch of extra stresses. You know, people are, well, and their families and people are lying and their friends. 10,000 times in two years isn't helping. That's for damn no, sure. No, not at all. Not at all. Well, no, the people that are believing, that's what's not helping. If you believe right. his lies. That's you know, you've got to know all politicians. Are these knuckleheads believing? Yeah. Yep, that's that they take right. him for his word. It's a freaking liar. All right, we have two minutes. I want to talk about... Avengers Endgame bringing in oh, billions billion upon dollars. billions of dollars. $1.2 billion worldwide. 350 wow. just in North America alone. Wow. Every record has been busted for a while now. I Man, thought that's amazing. It was 181 minutes of my life that I don't mind losing. I had a great time. I I didn't think they could do it. They brought 21 movies and 10 years of Marvel movies to an end. And I didn't think wow. they could do it. And they did a damn good job. I'm very, I won't do any spoilers just to say that they did a very good job with it. And I was pleasantly, I enjoyed all 181 minutes of it. It was a very good time. Excellent. Good movie. Um, did you get, did you get yeah. some snow? Uh, no, but it's cold as heck today. It's a yep. low as 32. I'm surprised you didn't get some snow. 34. Dude, but, Chicago uh, got snow over the weekend. Who's the weatherman? Who's the weatherman? And that would be me. <laughs> All right, you have you have one minute to tell them on your weather forecast, and we're signing off. Oh, I'm not. Ta- I'm not going to say anything. No, I. There, dude. I, right. Dude, it's raining and it's snowing, and uh, you know, it's just like right now in Denver, and we're not there, but they're getting pummeled. They're getting pummeled with snow. Um. We drove through a blizzard yesterday, and we weren't even in, you know, we weren't even in an area where we should have driven through a blizzard. So um, it, it's uh, just everybody, just please be paying attention to the people around you during these storms. 
Um, really keep in contact with, with your friends and with your relatives and make sure that everybody's in a safe place as you're getting hit by these storms. And these storms will come out of nowhere. That is what's happening currently. All right, well, you drive safe for the rest of your travels. You're almost at your destination. Everyone in we are. keep track of each other out there. We're going to play out Little Rabble, who has a brand-new album out. This is from his Excellent. old one, 11 Block. Tune in tomorrow, 1 o'clock Pacific, 4 o'clock Eastern time. We'll be talking about all sorts of news, politics, and pop culture right here on Standing on My Soapbox. Bye-bye. Peace. 11 blocks from my door to your doorstep. Three years later and it feels too close I thought I broke the last of that breakdown The morning I sold your winter coat It doesn't feel right when I'm grabbing a coffee The same old spot but I'm on my own I feel okay in the day but at night time You know how I get Cause my mind won't stop Mr.
seven blocks from my door to your doorstep. Three years later, it feels too. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show. It is Monday, April 29, 2019. Hope you guys all had a fantastic weekend. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton, and with me today is my fantastic intern, Miss Audrey. Audrey, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing really great. How are you doing today? I am doing very well. Thank you very much. How was your weekend? Oh, my weekend was, you know what? It went really fast. <laughs> I was yeah. very busy. And yeah, it was just like all of a sudden it was Monday, you know? I hear you. I get, I get, to me. I, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I guess, you know, it's good to be busy, but you lose track of time. <laughs> Very much so. I was I was part of the uh, 1.2 billion dollars spent on the Avengers Endgame movie um, this nice. weekend. I went and saw Avengers Endgame because I am a comic book geek and nerd, and uh, spent 181 minutes of my life watching Avengers Endgame and loved every freaking second of it. It was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I I didn't have a chance to go this weekend, but um, hopefully this next weekend I'll I'll be able to go with the family and check it out. Nice, nice, nice. It it was a good time. Won't do any spoilers, but uh, I thought I mean this was a pretty ambitious project. They were going to wrap up twenty one movies. This is the twenty first movie in the Marvel Universe series. Um, been over ten years. Of in the making, and they wrapped 21 movies up together. They brought back a lot of people from the individual movies of all the 21 movies. They wrapped up the storylines really well, and I was very impressed. They took three hours to do it. I didn't think they could do it all, but I was very pleased with the outcome. So I think you will enjoy it immensely. It was very cool. Oh, I I, I can't wait to see it and. I guess my only question is, uh, do you have to see Captain Marvel first, or could you watch you it without seeing it? You don't have to see Captain it? Marvel. In fact, I mean, without saying too much of a spoiler alert, Captain Marvel is not in it as much as they teased in the beginning. They made a big deal at, on the last one of Captain Marvel coming to the rescue. The very last scene of the first part of this Civil War thing um, or the the end game thing was Nick Fury calling out to to Captain Marvel at the end of the last movie, so it made right. kind of a big deal out of it. 
And she was not really featured in it a lot. She was important in it, but she wasn't in a lot of the movies. So I was a little huh. surprised by it, to tell you the truth. So you don't really need yeah. to see Captain Marvel. And a fun fact, as a matter of fact, Brie Larson, who plays Captain Marvel, actually filmed this Avengers movie before she filmed her own movie. So they had actually, she had to write scenes <laughs> for these movies and perform in here before she ever did her own movie. So it was kind of a tricky piece of storytelling that she didn't really have any idea what was going to happen in her movie. They had not even written her movie. They had barely had written their, her story when they filmed <laughs> Avengers Endgame. How wild is that in movie making? That, that is, I mean, usually they do stuff at the same time, but I, I guess, you know, there's just a, too much going on. They, you know, they had to do it when they could. Yeah, it was, it was kind of tricky storytelling, and they did that with a couple things. So I thought that was very cool. Um, we got a great show, guys, coming up for you in just a little bit here. Uh, two great interviews today. In just a few minutes, I'm going to be bringing on singer and songwriter Hayden McHugh from Canada. He has some fantastic music we're going to share with you. Uh, we're going to start off with his song, Calgary, which is where he's from, in just a couple seconds. And then in the second hour today, I have an HIV advocate and speaker, Josh Robbins, that is an amazing personality with a lot of great information to share. So we have a couple of great uh, interviews coming up for you in a little bit, so be sure to stay tuned for that. We are exactly five weeks away from the Big Gay Road Trip. Uh, it's going to be on our very first show. will be Monday, June 3rd live from the Indulge Resort at Palm Springs. So be sure to tune in to that. I will be heading out of here in about three and a half weeks now. Um, so I am looking forward to that trip across country. Um, it's going to be some fun times. So if you have not donated yet and you have a couple dollars laying around, you can go to the Indiegogo site, indiegogo.com, or go to the Left of Straight Show website, www.leftofstraight.com that's l-e-f-t-o-f-s-t-r and the number eight.com click on the big gay road trip link you can donate five or ten dollars or more and get some cool little uh, perks for donating to the cause we're trying to raise money to bring some allies and one of our interns along with us so you can look at that there you can also follow along on the website we'll be starting to announce this wednesday the first all of our guests that'll be in palm springs and we'll talk about the route, and we're going to have uh, videos that will be on the website. So that's all going to be interesting things. So be sure to look forward to that. The Big Gay Road Trip leaves Youngstown, Ohio on May 22nd, and our very first show is going to be on July or, or June 3rd from Palm Springs Indulge Resort. Got to give a big shout-out to our media sponsors, of course, Pink Banana Media out of New York and L.A., the uh, hashtag I love gay LGBT um, Twitter 360 network. Uh, we have the What's Trending app in San in San Diego helping us out. We got uh, CBT Candles in LA helping with our gift bags, and also TH Productions helping out with the, the gift bags. So be sure to watch for all of that starting very very soon. We're gonna have our guests on in a couple of minutes. Let's talk a little about what's in the news. Um, everyone talking about everyone was that waiting Friday for Taylor Swift 
to drop her new video uh, with a song called Me. It features Panic of the Disco's Brendan Urie, who I absolutely love. Um, so that video came out at midnight Friday, 12.01 a.m. Friday morning, um, to much anticipation. And the movie is really queer as hell. <laughs> Very good. Did you happen to see it yet, Audrey? <laughs> No, not yet. It's a very good video. I got to tell you, I'm not a huge music person. I, I love Taylor Swift. I love different people. I know different. I know songs I like, but I don't pay that much attention to music except when I'm in the car. I don't listen to much of the home. But it's a very cool music video. It has a lot of different elements to it, a lot of pastel pantsuits and rainbow this and uh, scenes from out of Mary Poppins and The Wizard of Oz. So very oh, wow. uh, very queer undertones to it. A lot of people were expecting she might be coming out as pansexual on it um, because she's been supporting LGBT rights and everything, which she didn't, and she doesn't have to, obviously. She is what she is, right. and uh, good for her. doesn't matter if she's an ally or part of the community. She's been a very good um, ally to the community. But the video itself is gorgeously shot, about four minutes. I tried to get a little clip to share with you, but it's, pretty password protected right now so i couldn't get it on the the show but it's a great video check it out go to youtube go to taylor swift's channel and look under the video me and it is a lot of fun i have to say i didn't i wasn't waiting until 12:01 a.m like a lot of people but i uh, saw it on saturday <laughs> and was very impressed by it it was pretty darn cool so check that out audrey i think you will like it um there was yeah, a really good that. story over the weekend, um, a Brigham Young University, which is um, college right in the middle of Mormonville, USA, in Salt Lake City there. But the valedictorian of BYU at their graduation ceremony last week, his name was Matty Easton. He was a political science major um, at the university. And during his valedictorian speech, he came out as part of the LGBT community. Um, as gay and kind of wish everybody um, regardless of their community to be positive and to um, worry about being you. And I thought it was a very nice speech and pretty brave of him to do. Um, It was obviously hard for him. He had told family and friends before um, his years in college, but didn't feel comfortable. And I, at BYU, I understand that. Is a very Mormon college, and Mormons don't look down upon it too well. But uh, good on Maddie Easton. I reached out to him on social media. We're going to try to have him on the radio show in the next couple of weeks here. I thought that was kind of a cool story. That is uh, cool. That's really else? awesome. Yeah. Do you watch Netflix much at all, Audrey? Huh. <laughs> I, uh, I watch it every single day. <laughs> Have you heard about this new series special it's called special? Um, it's actually, I've heard of it and it's, it's on my uh, to watch list. I have it on mine as well. I've not watched it yet either, but it seems very cool. It's kind of semi semi autobiographical. I can't speak today. It's Mondays guys. Um, <laughs> one of the uh, creator and star of it, his name is Ryan O'Connell he is an out gay man with mild cerebral palsy, and this is kind of a, a autobiographical tale about his life a little bit, um, and it's just fantastic. Jim Parsons from the big 
Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory is an executive producer on it. And it's just so well made. And this guy is so funny. He was on Trevor Noah the other day, did an interview, and I really enjoyed him. I need to get him on the show. So if anyone knows Ryan O'Connell out there, or if he has to be listening, we got to reach out to him because this show looks amazing. Check it out on Netflix. It's called Special, and I'm really looking forward to it. So I'm glad it's on your watch list, Audrey. I want to see it as well. It should be pretty exciting. Oh, yeah. I mean, Netflix has been coming out with a lot of uh, uh, gay-themed series, and I think that's really cool. Exactly. I am excited. Uh, Just a couple of weeks, we're going to have one of the writers of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix, uh, is an out gay writer on the series, and he's going to be coming on the show, and I think I don't think next week. I think it's the week after. I have to check my calendar real quick. His name is Josh, and he writes on that series. I love it. Sabrina's in its second second season on Netflix, and I love the first season. Did you happen to watch that, Audrey, the first season of Sabrina? I, I, I didn't watch it, but my partner did, and she told me she it was really good, and she, like, blew through it in, like, a day. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like, I like to binge watch. All right, we're going to have to jump to it, guys. My first guest has been waiting on the line patiently. We're going to go ahead and play one of his songs for you. And uh, this is Calgary by our first guest today, Mr. Hayden McHugh. I'm very excited to be talking to him. Audrey, take us away and put us into uh, to private mode here. And we'll be back in just a couple of minutes, seconds. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Okay. I'm not so sure that I can stay High above these clouds with you I'm not sure where I'm going to But I, I have to leave I can't be tied up in these city lights I must be free to roam the earth I know that you might miss me But all these winding roads are taking me to Where I'm feeling I must go I know I must confess That I don't ever think I'll find my home I must just be a wandering soul and If I'll ever come back home To Calgary I must just 
Calgary, Canada, that I came across on Instagram a while back, and we both happened to reach out to each other around the same time to get him on the show. By 18 years old, he'd already written and created his very first EP called Lion's Breath, and he's been creating songs and some great music ever since. Not just content to pursue his own dreams, he also founded an amazing organization called Music Gives YYC that work to create opportunities for younger kids to pursue their dreams in music as well. He's used the organization to raise thousands of dollars for the cause and to put on benefit shows that help raise awareness of the Calgary music scene. I'm excited to bring his music and talent to all my listeners today, so please welcome the first time to Left of Straight Show, Mr. Hayden McHugh. Hayden, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. It's been great talking to you. We've been following each other on social media for a while, and I think you actually um, reached out to me first, and I had a note that I was going to reach out to you, so I'm glad <laughs> we connected. That was very cool. Yeah, I'm trying to be proactive with uh, with getting my with getting my music out there. It's a, it's a fun should. time. I love it's it. <laughs> you should. Thank it you. is very fantastic. I love all of it. Um, how's everything in beautiful downtown Canada today? It's uh, actually snowy. Um, we got a little bit of last minute snow as we usually do. We always, it's kind of has a tendency to trick us into thinking that it's going to be really nice out. And then, uh, all of a sudden it just kind of, we got it. Like we actually had a, like a snowstorm where like several people were like an accident all over the road and it was like causing people to stay home and, um, yeah, right smack oh, in the man. middle of, uh, our April showers. So so nice though it's already melting away and so we're gonna have some green grass in no time i can imagine so it's great i love it there you go i have not been to calgary i've heard of the calgary stampede of course and i've uh, been to a lot of different places in canada but i haven't been to calgary were you born and raised there yeah i've never moved i've literally been here my whole life it's pretty fun great city I can definitely nice. recommend uh, the uh, things like the Calgary Stampede make us for sure world famous. I don't know if anybody else knows anything else about us, but um, that is our kind of shining feature. 
<laughs> well, talk about growing up there. What kind of a kid were you, and what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, I pretty much always wanted to be a singer, I think. I uh, When I was a kid, my mom bought me one of those little tape recording things, and I just filled it up with stacks and stacks of tapes of singing whatever songs were um, kind of around the house. My parents never really kind of like kept music from me as a kid. Like they never, I think like parents now have a tendency to be like, Oh, you know, we're gonna, um, you know, they're going to limit their listening to certain things. But I remember my dad was when I was like probably seven or eight listening to like salt and Peppa and things like that, just in the car. And so, um, I was always like really influenced by, um, kind of their kind of styles of music. And, um, yeah, it was growing up in Calgary was great. I loved it. Um, it's, it's a really great city. They've got lots of kind of performance, uh, professional performance organizations exist in the city. Um, there's kind of two big ones, the Young Canadians and the Youth Singers. And I was part of the, the Youth Singers program to do kind of an all-around um, singing and dancing and acting sort of training. Um, and I took piano lessons growing up as well. My parents put me in them. There was like a little period where I was like, I hate this. And I really wanted to quit. But I, uh, <laughs> I eventually kind of got over that. It was mostly just because we were doing – theory and I really didn't love learning in the kind of organized structure so it's great because my piano teacher was awesome um, she gave me the opportunity to learn theory and music theory through composing and, and, and arranging my own music so I'd like play her out this song that I had arranged and she would kind of help me go through the process of, of uh, like basically transposing this piece of music um, so that I could have it um, actually kind of professionally written out I guess um, yeah, that's great. Now, kind of growing up a little bit older, I was doing lots of the kind of open mics and stuff like that. And there's tons of those growing up in the city. Some of them are really small, but there are some really popular ones that I tried to go to frequently. Places like Cafe Koi, I would go there all the time. And I still drop in there every once in a while. I worked there as a server for a while uh, when I was a little younger. And um, yeah, it's great. It's been it's been handy. I've like often had dreams of being in kind of more popular cities, but I think with the advent of the internet, um, there's not really as much of a requirement for me to go out there and move to, you know, Toronto to necessarily be successful. Um, I can really kind of barter my time while I'm here and and maximize on that. And then when I get there, um, when I'm a little bit more successful and really know I have some fans, then I can travel to those areas and, and cater to those people who are in those areas. That's fantastic. I love that. And yeah, so so you were producing your own music at 16. That was part of these piano lessons then? Talk about that. Kind of, yeah, a little fun? bit. Sorry, what was the last thing you said? I said, how, well, how was that like? What what was your first experience producing your own stuff? What, uh, what made you uh, even know how to do any of that? I um, basically, I, I was trying to find... Um, on uh, basically I can see these things all on my Facebook memories. I love that app because I can get all these like reminders of what I was doing like years ago, but <laughs> I was trying to find producers who would work with me doing, um, the genre of music that I want to do. And, and Calgary ha- really has a tendency to be kind of like a rock and roll and a rap kind of orientated city, um, or oriented city. And I, uh, and I really wanted to do, like, I really was like, I kind of, some people were kind of would make it cheesy, but I really enjoyed pop music and it was kind of my favorite thing and it always made me really happy. And so that's what I wanted to do. And 
but I couldn't find anybody who wanted to do the music the way that I wanted to do it. I had like, like some actually really bad experiences working with some producers. This guy was trying to make this song, this like rock and roll, like almost metal song. And I was like, I understand that it has a little bit of that vibe, but it's mostly pop. Like, so we need to kind of stay in that realm and all these other things, but he was really pushing me to kind of do this, this, this song the other way. And I was thinking like, no, I don't want to do that. I really, really want to do this. This is kind of my thing. Um, so, but yeah, it's, um, doing the piano lessons was really helpful. I kind of taught myself how to do the production, which meant a lot of the stuff at the beginning was really bad. Um, to be honest, I was never like fantastic at it to start. I, um, kind of put a lot of stuff together that was just kind of mediocre and and uh, something else I tried to do lots was like kind of producing my own versions of other people's songs because then it's easier to kind of produce them because there's a guide of, you know, what the song already kind of sounds like. Um, sure. And then once I kind of got better at that, then I started to kind of do my own songs and, and do some stuff to release. Um, but having piano lessons has been really helpful. I know a lot of people who struggle with learning how to produce because they, they can do all the sounds and they can do all the um, – and they can do all the organization of like kind of making the song sound good, but putting together chords and things like that um, is something that kind of, it takes a lot of training to learn how to do in years and years of scales, basically. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Now, do you play other instruments or do you, do you do all your writing off the piano to start with? Do you transpose any other type of musical instruments? I would say that I do most of my writing on the piano just because that's my main instrument, but I do also play the ukulele um, and like very seldom the guitar. I can kind of only play my own songs on the guitar pretty much. I never really do anything else on it, um, but I can do, uh, but I can perform my own songs on them. I do those live sometimes, but that's about it. <laughs> nice. I like that. Guys, I forgot to tell you out there too. We do have the chat rooms open today. We haven't had, I haven't had my chat rooms open in three years, but I have these fantastic interns now. So Audrey is manning the chat room. If you're listening out there and you have any questions for Hayden or myself, go ahead and go into the chat room. If you click on the live link at Blog Talk Radio and scroll down to the bottom underneath the slideshow there, you're going to see not only uh, handsome pictures of Mr. Hayden there, but you're going to see our chat box. You can type in any questions there, and Audrey will let me know what you have there. Um, talk about, uh, your writing process. What comes, do you do a little bit of mix of lyrics and melodies, or do you usually start with a melody and add lyrics later? Or what's your process when you write? I, I would say I do very, a, a combination of both. I, um, it sometimes it makes it a little bit more complicated doing it this way, but I really like having them both come at the same time. I often will start with like a chord progression, I really will find like a, um, I don't know, like a series of four chords or something that I think is really cool. And then I just try to like, essentially I kind of just kind of improvise for a few tries and see, and I just try to see what comes out and see if I really enjoy uh, a melody working with that. And half the time I just end up throwing it out. I'm like, Oh, this is cliche or it's boring or I just don't like it. Um, but every once in a while you come out with something that is really cool. And, um, it feels it feels really random sometimes. Sometimes it feels really just kind of stabby in the dark. Like, oh, I wonder if this series of notes works together. I wonder if this chord works with this one. Oh, what happens if I change this chord to a minor chord? It makes it much more dramatic and sad. Or, um, 
yeah, it's a lot of uh, when I go about writing my songs, it's much about just trying to feel what you what I think the song is about because sometimes I don't even necessarily know when I start when you just make up a line. I'm like, okay, that's a really right. cool um, kind of emotion or idea. Let's build on that and let's see what I can go to. I found it's funny for me. I find that I have a tendency to write songs um, for myself in the future. It sounds kind of stupid and it's not like I'm a psychic, but just that. I'll like write a song and I'm like, Oh, that's so dramatic. Like that's such a cool idea. And then like a few years later, I'll be going through a situation and I'm like, Oh wow. Like I really feel that, that emotion that I was writing about in that, in that song. Um, and I could really use that right now. It's really silly. Cause the people, cause I'll say that and I'm like, Oh, so you're a psychic. You like knew you were going to go through that. And I'm like, wait, no, like I'm not, I didn't know I was going to go through it. It's just that I just happened to, um, be in that situation later and uh yeah none of my my songs aren't necessarily overly complicated they're very um they're very much just um i try to make them relatable i try to make them so people can actually uh connect with them and um and so that's really that really plays a that plays a big part of my writing and so i make sure that people will understand um the emotion so it's not like it's very complicated for people to get understanding too but but yeah, it's not that complicated. Very stabby in the dark. People always ask me, oh, I've always wanted to start writing. I'm like, you should just do it. Just like literally throw throw a chord and a thing, to, uh, throw a chord progression and, a, and some lyrics together and see how it sounds. And the key is melody. The key is melody and the key is um, and, a, and a good hook. And then you've got it. There's so many audiences out there for so many types of music that like if you are doing something, there are people out there who want to hear it. So um, you just got to find them. They're nice. just hard to find sometimes. I like it. That is very cool. I love all of that. Now, who did you say, who were your inspirations when you were growing up or who did you, who did you listen to mostly when you were younger? I, um, was definitely a stereotypical, like 2001 gay boy listening to like Hillary Duff and Avril Lavigne. Um, they were my top <laughs> bops for sure. I had like all of their CDs and my friend, called me one day and she's like, Oh, my brother can't come to the concert. Do you want to come? And I like probably cried a little bit. Um, when I got to go see Hillary Duff live, um, <laughs> I have always really liked a lot of pop music. I have always kind of been really fascinated by the way that, uh, it like hooks you in. Like even people who don't like pop songs, a pop song done well will be appreciated by pretty much anybody in the whole entire world. Um, and so I, that's what I kind of have loved about it the whole, my whole life is just that, that genre of music that connects with you, no matter kind of who you are. Um, lots of genres sure. have a tendency to kind of like, like not, I don't want to say alienate cause they're not kicking anybody out and saying, go away. Uh, but they're definitely like, there's definitely a certain type of individual who's going to want to be a part of those things. And, um, but a lot of pop music tries to speak to when I say a lot to lots of people. I sound like Bono with the uh, world will save uh, music will save the world method, but not necessarily that far. Um, right. But. Exactly. Very cool. I love that. Now talk about that. You are an out and proud performer in there. You played pride festivals all over the place. When did you first come out to yourself and when did you start coming out to others? I was pretty young. My parents kind of told me that they knew that I was gay <laughs> and that we should probably talk about it. Um, and I was like, no, mom, I'm bisexual. How about you just go screw yourself? I know me better than you. Um, but that was not, that was not necessarily the most accurate, um, the most accurate thing in the world. Uh, but I just, um, and then, yeah, I, that happened when I was probably like 
probably 14. I was like going through some serious sort of like depression. My parents had put me in a Catholic school so that I could learn French. Um, but it was very, it kind of made some, for some like conflicting sort of internal dialogue, I would say. Um, but it was fine overall. And then, um, I came out in grade 10 at school. I was in my second semester and I had decided to take biology 20, like the grade 11 version of bio early because you could take sciences ahead of time if you had a spare in your, in your 10th year. Um, so I was like, I'm going to do it. It's going to be fun. But there was only, I expected there to be like a lot more grade 10s in there, but it was only a small group of us. And I just remember one of the grade 11s turning around at his like, kind of like, you know, the black science stool desk of like the two people. And he turns around and he looks at his phone and and he looks at me and he's like, my friend wants to know if you're gay. And he was kind of like, it's, it. I don't think he like really intended to be antagonizing, but it kind of, it kind of ended up being a little bit that way. And plus I'm just really sensitive. So I think I took it a little firmly, but I was like a little taken aback and this girl looked at me and I was like, I kind of didn't really know what to say. And I, I was still for a moment. And then I said, um, yeah, is that a problem? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> like, I don't know where I got that like kind of level of confidence. This guy was like significantly bigger than I, um, but he kind of got a little flustered and he's like, Oh no, no. I just, I was just curious. And he turns back around and my friend's looking at me, she's all shocked. Cause like, she's never heard that I was gay before. And so that was very right. kind of a moment for her to be like, Oh, that's weird. I, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't care, but that's, that's good. Good for you. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I guess. Um, I was probably one of the only gay kids that was out of my school. There was a couple of ones who were older, but they were also like the one out of the whole group. Um, I think they were always just like several grades above me and everybody was always like segregated into their grades for some reason. But, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was okay because there was, most of my teachers were totally okay. I only ever had one teacher who was like really, prominent on um like kind of he didn't really you're not really allowed to talk about it and like push it but if you were if you just quote you know if you just say you know oh well the bible says quote unquote you know you can kind of get away with it um and he would say that occasionally but everybody else a lot of the teachers when when they would say those things they they would either just skip it um, and one of the teachers felt obligated to say it. So he would say, well, you know, the Bible says this, but this is what most people kind of have come to agree nowadays. Um, and so there was never a moment where whatever, but, um, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that was my, that was my coming out kind of experience, I would say. That's pretty brave to come out of the Catholic school. I'm impressed, my friend. That's, uh, that's braver than I think I ever was. So I, I, I like it. Thank you. I like it. It's kind of, it's different nowadays. I think it was mostly kids. I would say a lot of the, like, and you don't have a lot of the teachers either either who are very like hourly homophobic. And so it's, it's pretty much, it's, it's pretty much just, yeah, it was pretty fine. There was never really times like some of the other kids were mean, but there was never any really any, any sort of threats or anything for me at all. Very cool. I like that. And then, so I'm sure that helped inform your decision to be an out musician too. Did you ever think about when you started to put out your music, you'd have to go back in the closet or that was never a consideration. You knew you had to be you. I think I kind of, I was a little late for that. I think like a lot of people knew about it. And like, if I had kind of started pretending otherwise people would, people would be like, what the fuck? Like you said this a while ago, like, why <laughs> would you, why would you do this? Like, this is, don't go back on it. Am I allowed to swear? Sorry. I didn't even ask. 
Um, yeah, you but, can. That's fine. We're, we're okay. Good. I was just trying to make sure. It's like, wait a second. Um, but no, I think I, it'd be kind of inappropriate to go back on it. I think like, especially now the day and age, like there's there's really no point. There's only there's really it, realistically there's only small subgroups of people who, and I mean like they they are large groups and we should we should deal with them. Um, but there are mostly like smaller groups of people who are very outwardly homophobic or who are very outwardly against um, the gays getting married or, or you know trans people or anything like that. And so. Um, right. we do need to continue to think about it and to, and to kind of like push for it, but there was no fear for me, I guess. Like there are some kind of extreme, really unfortunate cases, but especially where I live, you know, we're pretty metropolitan and we're pretty forward. And, um, I felt like it would just be better as well for everybody else. And just to be a representative for other kids who want to do the things that I wanted to do, you know, that's fantastic. I love that. We're going to play um, your song, Take You, in just a couple of seconds. Um, Talk about that for a second. I love the music video. I love the journey of the sparkly gold piano. Talk about the making of the video and the making of that song. Very cool. Um, Thank you. I was really excited about this one. This is probably the first song that I produced entirely on my own that I was like, this is, I really appreciated it and I loved it. And this is one that I, I don't know, that I just really, really liked a lot. I, um, it was just, it was a lot of fun to make. I, I was just, I've been learning a lot lately about, um, how to make these sounds and how to manipulate them and how to make them really cool. And I had to layer like 20 different piano tracks to make the piano sound really good all throughout the whole number. And, uh, then after I kind of had finished that, that was a lot of fun producing it. And then I went to the studio with a couple of my friends and we recorded big choir vocals for the end. And, um, and then once we got to the music video production part, I spent probably 25 hours with that piano in my garage, <laughs> um, in total, I painted it blue first and then I was like, no, this is not enough. And then I painted it in silver glitter after that. I, I painted it white first and then I painted it in silver glitter so that the blue wouldn't show. And then, uh, yeah, it was ridiculous. We, I had to, um, Basically, what I ended up doing is we, we put the piano in a U-Haul. We used, like, a furniture dolly to pull it up and down. It's like a, a, like a, It was way too small, to be honest. Like, the furniture dolly was not appropriately sized for this, like, moving, <laughs> essentially, like a piano from the 1960s. Um, and we put it in there, and we did this starting at 5 a.m. through till noon, basically. Um, six, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, I don't even remember. It was, like, six or seven hours going around from the we did i think 12 different locations in total when we filmed with just the piano several locations just kind of didn't really turn out as good so we didn't include them um but they still ended up being really cool shots um for advertising and and people were walking by and being like what the hell is this and taking videos and stuff and that was really fun um and then we went forward from there uh i then dropped the piano off back in my u-haul and and dropped it at home and then i got in my car and drove to our dance location where we filmed the dance a little bit, um, which was really fun, choreographed by my friend Sean Butler. Um, and you got the moves, by... my friend. You like it. I like it. Thank you. you. They were fun. <laughs> it was a lot of fun to do it. I have done, like, lots of dance growing up, but it was a lot of, like, very generic. Like, I don't want to say generic because it's a bad word, but, like, um, it was very, uh, like, kind of musical theater style dance and, and, and kind of commercial and um, almost like hip-hop. And so this one was very, like, like kind of almost hip hop styled specifically, which is a little bit out of my comfort zone. 
Um, but it was great. It was really fun to learn. We learned the dance in like two weeks, and then, yeah, we filmed it. It was so hot. I made everybody wear these sweaters. We're all matching, which was so fun. I actually ended <laughs> up finding these like $200 pair of like Nike shoes that were like these big white boots just so I could match everybody else. But I found them on Kijiji in exactly my size. They were the only pair listed. Um, so that was fun. And then we actually got it in front of the stampede. So you mentioned that I wanted, or actually it wasn't even my idea. The, the videographer, Maxwell, I talked about stampede and I was like, ah, oh, that's so bad. It's, Gonna people drunk people are gonna be wandering around and, and bugging us and getting in our way. But then he was like, Well actually we should take it to the hill above Stampede and get a, um and then take a video while the fireworks are going off. And so we dragged the piano up past the police officers and I waited for the RCMP to go away. Um the Royal Mounted Police are on their horses walking back and forth on the hill. And I just drove my U-Haul up there and pulled the piano up and then left it there and then drove the U-Haul away. And they're wondering how we got a piano out here. I think they assumed that we just like pulled it out of one of our houses. Um, I was like, I was, I was like thinking that the police was going to think it was like us trying to like put off a bomb or something, but I was like, no, like it's just my piano in the back. Like you can look in it. I don't care. Um, But we took it up there and we got a really beautiful shot. I have it. My mom has the shot now of like the whole, it's got all of the downtown city of Calgary, as well as all of the theme park of the city of, or the stampede in the middle of downtown, as well as the huge stadium um, where they have the performances going on in there. Um, And yeah, that was amazing. We got the shots with the fireworks going off at the end, which really kind of made a a good finale for it. And um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a great video to film. I loved it. I have never had so much fun filming something in my life. I am looking forward to doing more videos like that with like high production and stuff. It was really great. Nice. Well, we will encourage everyone to go check it out after the show today. Let's go ahead and give our listeners uh, a listen here. This is Take You. Um, we're talking to the singer and songwriter, Hayden McHugh, right here on the Left of Straight show. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. I'm burdened by all the things that keep me down. I'll just keep wondering if you'll come around Yeah, I know I'm hard to take Yeah, I know you have your ways But if we try, I know that I can love you better than they can Lately I've been doing a little thinking Thinking about the way you make me feel so alive But every time I see you're holding him I go all kinds of crazy But let me try and show you that I can love you better than they can I've been running all my life to find you right here by my side Oh babe, I'll never let you down I won't need another next life Cause with you I will be just fine Babe, let's hit the road I just wanna know Will you let me, baby, let me take you home Take you home Let me take you home I'm going. 
crazy. Each day that passes feels like thousands of years. So I'ma try to keep my composure. Do my best to get to know ya. But let me try and show you that I can love you better than they can. I've been running all my life to find you right here by my side. Oh, babe, I'll never let you down. I won't need another next life, cause with you I will be just fine. Babe, let's hit the road. I just wanna know, will you let me, baby, let me take you home. And I just wanna know, will you let me, baby, let me take you home. want to come back um you know i would never want to leave permanently 
I think like a lot of my family would end up being here. And uh, I might, I don't know if my parents would ever want to move anywhere else. They really love it here. But, uh, but yeah, I would, but I would definitely, I might want to like go beyond this place a little bit. And that's kind of what that was about. And it is beautiful shots. I mean, you take shots all around Calgary and it's a beautifully made video that goes with it. So that's Thank very you. awesome. I love that. Um, and then Taco, we're going to play out in a little bit with Wicked Games. That was a part of a short film or was a short film made around that song? Talk about that video a second. Yeah, that was just uh, me and I, it was like one of the first videos that I had ever done. And I had this kind of bad experience with a guy trying to do this one video a while ago where he just kind of fell off. Um, but I was working, I talked to this guy about doing a video and he also uh, was kind of struggling to work with people to kind of get some material out there. And he was like, well, I really want to start doing music videos. So we just discussed um, what we could do. And I really love playing the piano. I always really have. And so we really wanted to do this, um, this kind of video featuring around uh, kind of like, it's, how do I describe it? We really wanted to kind of demonstrate like what the song was about and show this like the idea of kind of like when you're out and and they kind of it's almost like about the dating about the dating world where you're kind of going out and finding people and it's kind of it's kind of hard like you know fighting through all the people to get to meet some people or meet somebody that you like and um we wanted to kind of demonstrate that and also feature again some really cool places in calgary um because i really love um i've always been inspired by music videos that really kind of utilize um, either natural or like really cool architectural space that's already in place. It's really cool to like build a set for a music video. Um, but I also just really like when you can kind of almost make a photograph, a moving photograph almost of like an area basically, and you've given it its own feature. So we've kind of taken some bits out of Chinatown and we've taken some bits out of, um, out of kind of the, so the piano that we used in there where, we, where I'm playing the piano in the scene again, uh, was actually donated by a guy. He died a few years ago. Um, he kind of left a whole bunch of money for the piano to be taken care of um, after he passed away. Unfortunately, some drunk people kicked it over, um, so it doesn't exist Aww. anymore, but it's cool now that I have this kind of moment captured um, in time of this piano um, that was really quite beautiful. It was awesome. It had all this, I don't know if in the video it really features it super well, except for in a couple like quick shots, but the, on the top, they had all these plants that were always growing. And that was really cool because that actually kept the inside of the piano really moist, which is really good for it. And, um, it was a really cool kind of invention. Awesome. So I hope that the city brings things like that back. They try to throw pianos up all over the place that are donated. Um, nice. So it's too bad but, to hear about uh, yeah, it. That's that a great down. story. I love that. Yeah, thank you. Mm. All right, well, we only have about 10 great. minutes left. I want to get into uh, Music Gives. Talk about founding this. What was your impetus for this? And tell, talk a little bit about this organization. I think it's fantastic. Uh, thank you. I really just wanted to – it kind of just sprung from this idea where I really wanted to do um, a piece of merchandise that I would donate a portion of the uh, proceeds to charity. I was like, I could do – these bracelets was the original plan and I could sell them as a way to raise money for myself because I really wanted to kind of support myself as a musician. Um, but then also to work with, um, to kind of work with an organization to potentially raise money. I just, I finished, uh, I got a diploma a few years ago and, um, or started in a few years ago for event management. And so I was looking for ways to kind of like get that experience going as well and just try that out. 
Um, and so once I tried to start running this program, it was really cool because it actually gave me a platform to put on events for myself, and I could run um, events that I could perform at and share my music and share my art uh, while simultaneously kind of doing something that I'm really passionate about, which is bringing music to kids who don't necessarily have access to it. Um, I've kind of enjoyed doing that for a long time, working with uh, this program called Star with these singers after I finished um, kind of joining the programs and, and learning from them. I wanted to kind of pass that on. And so I spent five years um, up until the last year working with kids with special needs, teaching musical theater um, and doing kind of singing and dancing with them. Um, and then that kind of brought me on to wanting to do this and to bring music to kids who um, struggle to kind of kind of have that in their lives because I believe that sports programming is really presented in Calgary. There's lots of programs that are like, you know, bring your kids, get your kids into sports. Um, and if you don't have the funding right. for it, we're going to figure out a way to get you there. Um, but not a lot of those exist for musical programming and musical programming is really expensive. Uh, just like sports, sports are also expensive equipment of any kind is expensive. Um, but yeah. there is not necessarily enough. Um, what I believe programming kind of presenting that to kids and we have a, a tendency to present things to very kind of like schools that do have lots of money and do have the opportunity to bring that. But there are lots of schools that fail at bringing the appropriate level of musical education to their students. I remember in like fifth grade, I got a D in music because I learned the recorder the left-handed way. I could play all the songs perfectly, but I learned them the left-handed way. And so I got a D in, in the music class. And um, I was like, this is, this is wrong. <laughs> I think back to that and thinking, this is not appropriate. You're going to disinspire kids to go into music because they think that playing it the opposite way, like playing the left-handed way is the wrong way. I just have a, have a tendency to do that. I've always, for some reason, like when I learned to snowboard, it was the same. Like I learned the left kind of footed way. Um, and so it didn't really make sense to me at all why. And like now in hindsight, as a kid, it was just like, well, I don't know why you guys would do, do this to me. Um, but now as like an adult, I like realize that it's, it's kind of a lapse in judgment that where teachers don't even understand what they should be focusing on, right? Like it's not about what hand you play with. It's about making sure that you play the notes in time, um, in, a, in the appropriate series, you know, and you make it also musical, right? That's the other key. And instead of focusing on that, they were really focused on, you know, this other part. Um, so it's kind of grown and developed at first. It started with us like really selling these bracelets and we were working to incorporate other musicians into it. And they would sell bracelets as a part of their merchandise, but then it felt a little pyramid schemey and it wasn't really working out very good. Um, and so when I, I changed my method and I was like, well, I'm just going to sell these. So we started to sell them online and we started to sell them um, at markets and, and kind of attending places. And we would also have musicians come and attend events with us. Um, and that was really great because they would kind of perform and talk about us and talk about how they would kind of get, provide stories of, oh, this was my experience growing up with music or my lack thereof and what I would have benefited from it. And then, but now we're kind of just expanding a little bit more where I really want to mostly just go into places and assist and, and bring teams of people together to do things. Um, my original goal was to work in schools. Um, but it's very hard to kind of work in the private sector or the kind of public school sector in that way. So I uh, wanted just to start with various programmings. We've done camps where we've offered like music days um, where they like offer uh, camps for kids. The parents can't necessarily afford summer camps and they play theater games and play games that are kind of musical orientated. Um, and um, my goal now is to kind of also provide kind of like a networking opportunity for musicians to provide instruments that they're not using anymore, 
where we can pass those along to kids who are um, going to use them. Uh, like a kid who's going to learn the guitar doesn't necessarily need, you know, the fanciest guitar in the world. And so getting you started on an sure. instrument uh, is a really good way to kind of just get it. And, and, and they're a huge investment for parents, unfortunately, uh, to like acquire some of these instruments. So that provides them okay. the opportunity to try it out. And if it really works out well and the kid is showing that he's really enjoying it, then you maybe don't mind um, kind of like we can work with the kid or something to save up the money to do it. Um, but especially at first, you really don't want to be throwing money around at like a $700 instrument that you're afraid somebody's going to leave around. Right. That's fantastic. Yeah. So are you, are people able to buy the bracelets online still? Do you still sell them? Uh, we're not selling them online right now. Uh, mostly we're mostly just looking to connect with people who are looking to, um, it's kind of changed over from that cause we, uh, we weren't doing tons of sales, but, um, I'm working on kind of trying to bring that back with the team of kind of to help me kind of do a little bit more of digital marketing. Um, and then once I kind of get that upswing, um, and then we're going to start to kind of try to go into the, the schools. So we're working on it. We're working on it. It's a slow moving process, but we're getting there. Well, that's great. Just congratulations for attempting that. We always need to support our arts in the schools. What's that website in case someone listening is interested in helping you out? What's the website for your organization? Uh, the website is musicgiftsyyc.com, um, or you can click through on my website, haydenthecue.com, and then there's actually just a little button that says Music Gives that you can click on, and it'll take you to our website. Very cool. Let's talk about a couple of your upcoming gigs. I mean, you just played this weekend at that uh, espresso bar. I love coffee shop music. I love toned-down acoustic Music, how'd that go this weekend? Did you have fun? Yeah, it was really great. It was uh, mostly just kind of an entertain. They invited me out to come and entertain there, play people for a couple hours. I played lots of fun covers, um, but I really love doing uh, more kind of dancey style performances. I'm getting to do this really fun Calgary Pride. It's a private event, so nobody can come, unfortunately. Um, but it's a really fun Pride event. Um, there's, it's two in a row. I work for this company sometimes called Search of Henri, and they pay me to come in uh basically do a theatrical style performance um kind of circus style which is really fun where i do a couple um circusy style covers and then the day before there was a gsa event where they're inviting a bunch of kids out from gsa's to have their own pride event um pride is sometimes has a tendency to be very adult orientated and so they're putting on um, a pride event for for youth and teens to come out and to have one where it feels a little bit more um, a teen and, and kind of young adult orientated and um, for kids who aren't quite able to participate in the bar scene and things like that. Um, and I'll get to perform Take You. I'll do the music video style um, live like I did last year, uh, which is so much fun. And what else am I, I doing? And I'm that. performing at uh, an opening release for my buddy King Dylan as well. His CD releases on June 1st. And so I'll be opening for there as well, which is super fun. I, uh, his music is super upbeat and, and so like rap kind of fun, which is also like very fun hip hop. I always kind of define it. There's two in my head. There's rap and then there's hip hop and his is hip hop, more like salt and pepper, which I like. So um, I'm really excited about that. It's going to be great. Very cool. And do you have any, if you had your choice of a dream collaboration, who would your dream collaborations be with? Oh my goodness. I want to collaborate so bad with like Clean Bandit. I love them. They're like kind of house music mixed with classical music is so cool. Um, and especially during new stuff, it's very poppy. I love it. And uh, I would love to do like classic 
classic gay RuPaul kind of collaboration nice. would be really fun. Just doing like a super fun house music. I would love that. Um, and also uh, Trixie Mattel. I love her so much and it would be so cool to do. I love kind of like folk music, um, especially right. when it's kind of really solo acoustic guitar or like uh, I really love the song where she uses her um, auto harp. I love that. Um, so I would love to work with her. And who else am I thinking of lately? I love that Sweet But I'm Psycho song by Ava Max. So that would be really fun to work with her as well. I want to know. I love that song. I love it. I love it. All right, my friend. Well, we're running out of time here. Please let everyone know your website again, where they can find you on social media, and where can they find your music at? Um, you should look me up on Instagram because there's pictures of my butt there. So that's always the best. <laughs> um, and so that's on Hayden McHugh on Instagram. Um, you can also, or M-C-H-U-G-H. I know some people struggle with the spelling of my last name. And uh, you can go to my website, HaydenMcHugh.com, and look at all the music videos that I've got up there. I've got a bunch, um, as well as some live music videos that I spent so much money on. So you should watch them. Um, where I did some of the, like I did, uh, for example, Take You in Calgary, I did live. Calgary, I did live with uh, a solo cello, which was super cool to do. Um, I never really nice. kind of done a performance on my own with a live instrumentation, so that was really cool. Then we did Wicked Games as well um, with a full acoustic band, like a violin and two guitars and uh, uh, the box drum player and everything, so that was super cool. And, uh, yeah, you can also find me on Twitter as well, Hayden McHugh, and Facebook as well, if you prefer those. Very cool. Well, thank you for being a guest on the Left of Straight Show, my friend. We have to have you come back with some new music. It's been an absolute delight to talk to you, buddy. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That was, that was, it was so much fun to be talking to you guys today. You are very welcome. Stay on the line for me. Guys, we'll be playing out in a couple of seconds here to Hayden's Wicked Games. When we come back, I'm excited to talk to my next guest today. We're going to have Josh Robbins on. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on Left of Straight Radio Network.
leaves while the midnight oil burns Oh, the night's getting longer and I'm getting weaker I'm hoping you'll save me like Yahweh and Jesus did long ago Can you carry me into the light? Kiss me like you'll never see me again Cause you'll wake up tomorrow and you won't remember my name Josh Robbins on your show 
He has some great information to share. He's cute as hell. And let him know that next time he's in L.A., I want to have a date. So I said, okay, I'll do that. So I'm reaching out. We're going to talk about your story. And the next time in your L.A., I'm signed up with a date already. So there you go. I'm the left of straight matchmaking service right here. Hey, hey, you know, I, I, uh, I'm I, single, and uh, I can take it any 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 place that I can get it, honestly. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, this is – how sweet of how sweet of him to say that uh, all those things. So uh, maybe some of it's true, maybe some of it's a lie. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. We'll do three truths and a lie next time you're on. I wasn't ready for a game today, but we'll we'll play it next time. We'll get we'll get the real skinny. We'll have to guess what's not true. Best deal. Okay. Deal. <laughs> deal. I'm gonna hold you to it. I'm gonna hold you to it. I I like it. We'll have you back anytime you want. I love you so much. I'd love to have your own radio show on here. I, we haven't really addressed HIV enough. You do some amazing videos already and don't need a radio show. But I would put you on the air any day of the week and twice on Sundays, my friend. You're a great speaker. <laughs> twice on Sundays. You sound like you're from the South because we say that that all the time down here. Twice on Sunday. <laughs> I am yeah, a wannabe no, Southern um, person. I think I should have been a Southern person. I say y'all a lot in my writing right. and when I talk to people. I am just a phony from all over. I was born in Southern California and I've been banished to Northeast Ohio. So I don't have one trace of Southern in me, but I fake it well. So there you go. <laughs> hey, that's all right. That's good. You can be honorary Southern. How about that? I love that. Thank you. Let's start with a little bit of background, Josh. Tell me about where you grew up, what kind of a kid were you, and what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, um, so I'm going to start in reverse from what you just said. I wanted to be, when I grew up, I wanted to be the first part of my life, I wanted to be a stripper. And the second part of my life, I wanted to be a preacher because because I grew up in – Right, in West – no, true story. I told my parents that and all that. So – I grew up in West Tennessee in a small town, Jackson, between Nashville and Memphis. And, um, and yeah, so I, you know, have a sister and, and two younger brothers and um, kind of like a, a mixed family, parents divorced and remarried each. And so I got really lucky having um, a really strong support system and, and family uh you know, kind of unit that was mixed, and um, and I was the kid that that wished that I could play basketball uh, better because I wished that I was taller, and so instead <laughs> I went and started doing you know theater shows in in uh, Jackson, and you know I did all the shows that you do, um, including like the getting to fly on stage with Peter Pan. Um, you know, they brought nice. in like the big, yeah, like stage crew, and then uh, Pippin that show, and and um and and I had a really strong, uh, like sense of like, I don't know, I thought I, I like I belonged kind of in the performing arts at least when I was younger, and um, and I got this, I got really lucky. I I had a high school theater teacher that was also an actress, um, and she had an agent, a talent agent in Nashville and Memphis and Little Rock and that sort of thing. And um, uh, she kind of introduced me to like the profession of uh, the entertainment industry. And so um, she really opened that door for me. And, and I went to New York and, 
right after high school and went to an acting school and, and I hated New York. I'm so Southern because I, I lived in the <laughs> Upper West Side. And I'll tell you this, there, I went into uh, the short story. I went into a McDonald's in New York City the first week that I was there, and I was so green and talked so slow. And, uh, and so I did the order, and the, the cashier, uh, uh, she, said to, she said to me, hey, um, so what brings you to New York? I guess she could tell I was brand new. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm an actor. I said, oh, I'm an actor. And she turned around. She threw the, the French fries in the bag and handed the bag to me and said, aren't we all? And that was like my introduction at that moment to the real world. And I was like, right? oh, wow. And so I threw on the brakes and was like, wait a minute. Like I was a big fish in a small pond. I don't like auditioning. And so New York is not for me. So I literally Gosh. moved home uh, like right after that. But, um, but yeah, I've grown up in Tennessee and I lived here and, I uh, went to school here and, and got a degree at the, you know, a university here uh, in journalism. And, and yeah, and so that's kind of, kind of my, my backstory. Um, nice. When I, uh, yeah. So I, I came out um, as gay to my family when I was 25. Um, just, yeah, I mean, God, it feels like tomorrow. Doesn't it, people always <laughs> say this when you get older time flies when you know and you always think when you're younger like I have no idea what they're talking about but um yeah I mean I 20 at 25 I came out of the closet and um and actually had to come out of the closet twice to my mom because she was suffering um uh, she was on a lot of medication because of multiple sclerosis at the time Mm. and so the first time I came out (laughs) first time I came out to her she didn't remember that I came out and so oh my goodness. We laugh about it. Oh my we goodness. laugh about it now. Mom, mom is doing really great, but uh, we laugh about it now. But I lived for six months believing that my mom knew that I was gay and I had a boyfriend and all of that. And then about six months later, I got a call from my sister saying, hey, warning, mom's about to call you. And I'm like, okay. And she called and was like, hey, I have a question. Uh, are you gay? And I was like, <laughs> we discussed this six months ago. But sure, let me come out of the closet again, Mom. Oh my goodness! <laughs> which is kind of, which is kind of perfect. But um, yeah, so that's kind of that my is kind of cool. Back. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I'm well, glad I mean, you it wasn't for the time, but <laughs> yeah, no, Mom is. Yeah, no, Mom is doing really well. She um she actually last year or two years ago she climbed to the top of a rock uh a rock wall at her gym. She trained all year. And in the 12th month, she hit finally at the top. She's doing so good now. So um, she's really been somebody that, you know, and we can talk about this in a bit, but she um, has been really some, somebody that helped me a lot in terms of how to begin to cope with having like a chronic illness, um, particularly, nice. you know, that affects your immune system. Yeah. So I kind of have that built. Oh, that's great to well, have that. So. That's yeah. fantastic. Let's start with the backstory a little bit. You were already living near the Nashville area and working with local organizations and even was in an HIV vaccine trial. It wasn't the source of your diagnosis, but talk about that early life and your early activism after you came out. Yeah. I, uh, so early um, after I you know, came out of the closet, uh, 
I got approached by someone who was pretty cute, actually, and he uh, was a recruiter for the HIV vaccine study at Vanderbilt. And, uh, and so I took the, uh, the meeting because I wanted to know more about what was going on. And um, I'm not going to say that I, that I was a, a huge, like, advocate for those living with HIV because I really didn't know a ton about it. I did know to wear a ribbon on certain days, and I knew that it was important in context of, like, the gay community to, you know, be understanding and, and you know, have some type of, like, empathy or whatever for people that were living with HIV, um, although I had never been told by anybody that they were HIV positive that I knew. Um, and, gotcha. and so I had, gotten in, I had gotten enrolled in the Vanderbilt HIV vaccine study um, because it was a cause. I thought I was doing something really important as a healthy gay man, uh, you know, right. kind of allowing myself to get into that process. And, um, and I'm really glad I did. Now, the vaccine that I was a part of was the HVTN505 vaccine. And, and, of course, that vaccine study got, got kind of squashed by the government for, um, because it just wasn't effective. And, um, right. But because of that, and me being involved, um, they decided to, they asked me if I wanted to be on the posters in all the bathrooms in Nashville for the HIV vaccine, you know? And so my little former actor self kind of, you know, uh, put the hair behind <laughs> my ears and, you know, perked up and smiled real big and was like, of course. And, and so I literally became a poster child <laughs> or poster boy for, for, you know, HIV vaccine study, uh, for that study, and, and just in general for, like, HIV kind of um, advocacy when I was negative. Um, right. And then on December the 18th, I had sex with someone who, who didn't know that they were living with HIV. And um, about three weeks later, I got really, really sick. I'm talking about every symptom that's classic, like HIV infection symptom, even though I didn't initially even think that at all. Um, right. But I had the, you know, the sweat, the flu-like symptoms, uh, the headache, uh, all that stuff. And I went to one of those minute clinics, you know, the ones you see where they're like, yeah, come in in five minutes and we'll get you taken care of. And so right, I went right. to one of those, you know, things and um, – and they thought that I had the flu or, you know, like a, a, a virus or something. And they gave me medicine and sent me home. Well, the next day I woke up and I had like, I don't know, 30 ulcers in my mouth. I mean, it was the most painful thing ever. And so mm. I did what every good consumer would do. I marched my happy ass right back to that place and was like, look, <laughs> y'all have messed me up even more because I'm allergic to this. <laughs> and and they left me. In, it's funny now. I mean. I'm like, God, why did I even like try to go be that consumer? But <laughs> but when uh, they left me in the room for about four or five minutes, and and then the doctor walked back in and he said, "We need to talk about your risky activity." And oh that phrase made my heart, you know, drop to my stomach, and I was what like, was "Oh God!" And uh, and he said, "Yeah, we want to." Um, we actually want to test you for HIV and my eyes probably got huge and, you know, bugged out of my, my head. And, and I explained to him that I actually couldn't 
take an HIV test with him, which was bizarre to him. Um, but when you're in an HIV vaccine study, you commit to only being screened in the clinic where the study's happening. Because if gotcha. you get an HIV vaccine, you could develop uh, antibodies that would make a regular HIV test test positive, and you're not positive. Um, okay. And so, okay. yeah. And so I was like, whoa, 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 you know, let me, this was on a Friday. I was like, I'm going to go and get tested. I'll call the clinic. And I went out to my car and called. And of course they couldn't get me in until Monday. Let me tell oh, you. Oh my goodness. Between that Friday and Monday, I didn't, I, I mean, the world stopped and time ticked as slow as, yeah. And, um, but I, but I went in, and the clinic was great on that Monday, and they, and they screened me and sent off the stuff. And, and, and after two more confirmation tests, then on January 24th, 2012, I was diagnosed uh, with a positive viral load, and that's the video that I shared on YouTube um, of my actual diagnosis. Well, talk about that video. It's been seen by over a million people. I mean, very brave to do it to begin with. Uh, it sounds like from the way you were talking to people in the clinic, you kind of was almost expecting a positive diagnosis. Um, what was that day like for you going in there? Yeah, I, I don't know that anyone ever expects or knows how to accept um, a positive diagnosis. I mean, HIV was the only thing as a gay man that I had ever feared in my whole life. Um, right. And it was kind of in, ingrained from church, uh, growing up in church, that, you know, the, the homosexuals, that that was like a punishment from God that they would get. Um, and that was yeah. the re result of their sin. And, and that was kind of in my brain. And, and then I also had these feelings of, oh, my God, I'm, I'm a poster boy right now as being HIV negative all over this town. And it absolutely, if I'm positive, has nothing to do with the vaccine, but people could perceive that as being the right. reason why I was infected. And I could be, you know, and I thought that, oh, this great thing that I was doing, I was about to be very damning to it um, because I would make people, you know, stop and think or question the vaccine study. And then I was just disappointed in myself if, if that was the case. And, and so for those three weeks where I was waiting on that final diagnosis, I mean, I can't tell you how many nights I fell asleep on my floor in my Nashville, you know, apartment, like fall, falling asleep on the floor, crying my eyes out because mm -hmm. I just yeah. was, I wanted to do anything possible to make it not true if that was the case. Um, and I started these like negotiations with God. You know, we all do it where it's like when you go out one night and you come up and you, know, you, and you wake up and you're so hungover and you're like, I swear to God, I'm never going to drink again. Right. If right. I can just, if I can just get through this. Um, and so I started kind of having those, um, same exact type of like negotiations in my mind with God. Like, I swear to God, I will never have sex again if I can just be negative. Okay. And, and so for three weeks, that was kind of my life and I didn't tell anybody, but by the time that the, the day came for me to go to the clinic and get the final diagnosis, um, 
everything in me already told me that, that it was going to be a positive result. But um, I, know, I knew that I just had to go get it. The reason why I recorded it, I'm, I wasn't some, like, weird dude that just wanted to monetize an HIV diagnosis. Um, I actually recorded it and audio recorded it because my mom is a nurse. She's a registered nurse. And so I knew that um, because of, you know, her medical situation uh, and her diagnosis of MS that, that as soon as I found out, we had already promised each other that if there was ever anything medical that was going on, that we would immediately tell each other and my family that we wouldn't try to like decide if they could handle it or that sort of thing. And so I had decided that after I got the result, if it was positive, I would travel to my hometown and I would look my family members in the eye and, and tell them that I was HIV positive. And um, and so the reason I recorded it was so that during those, like, talks, if they had questions, I could just play exactly what the clinic said to them um, sure. because I may not remember like, everything that was said. So that's, that's really, like, the reason behind it all. Um, and, but uh, after, uh, like, two or three weeks of being diagnosed, uh, you know, I thought about having those videos and the record, audio recording and, you know, I said, this might, this might be really something important for other people to hear. And it was part of the, um, the launch of my blog, I'm still Josh.com. And, and I put the video up on YouTube and I didn't know at the time. And, and it still is to my understanding, the, the folks at, at uh, Google, New York city and YouTube have, have kind of confirmed this, but it's the only video on YouTube of someone actually being diagnosed recorded live. Everything else is like a dramatization or like a reenactment or, you know, something fake. Uh, But um, I think that that is why uh, that video has has been, you know, watched by so many people because it's it's as real life as you can get with with a fear that people all over the world can understand. I mean, if you have sex, then you have thought about HIV or or, you know. Um, have worried about right. it at least, and so yeah, so that's kind of where I came from, and and um, what launched me as a activist. I, I didn't wake up one day and go, oh, I want to be an activist. I woke <laughs> up one day and felt, and you know, felt the weight of the world on my shoulders, and I, I thought, you know, I can't not talk about this. I can't. So if that means I'm going to lose my family, then so be it. Of course that wouldn't happen. If, if I was going to lose friends because I was going to talk about HIV, then, then fine. I will be the dude with HIV with no friends. If it meant that I wasn't going to be in love anymore, then, then that was fine. I mean, that was the mentality that I had in launching that blog. And, um, and the name just came from the fact that I couldn't think of a better name that day. <laughs> you know? Well, I think uh, it's a uh, it's a great name, and and it's it's very true. For I do have a couple quick questions on the video. Yeah. Um, from the way the yeah. video is edited, it looks like you went alone. Did you go alone for this? And would you recommend that to others? Uh, I think I'd be scary. Alone. I'd have to have and someone with me. Yeah. So uh, again, I had an amazing uh, group of like clinicians and researchers because of the HIV vaccine study that I was a part of. Uh, so mm-hmm. I knew them really well. I mean, I had already spent like a year and a half with them almost, you know, every other week kind of thing. 
Um, and so they they were definitely my support group um, there. I, you know, some people, I think it's, it's up to people, it's up to individuals. I mean, some people would want to go by themselves because if they get the news, they want to kind of process it alone. Other people, right. I think, are know that they won't be able to process it very well alone, and they need somebody there to hold their hand or hug them or or cry with them or or just listen to them or just sit silently with them. You know, like I think everybody kind of processes it differently. Um, but for me, I knew that if it was positive, it wouldn't be very long before I was with my family, um, and so. I uh, that was the plan, and I and I kind of stuck to it. But I pre-planned my trip home, and pre-packed my bag and all that good stuff. So if it was a positive result, I literally would be you know on the way home right after. Right, right. I saw that. I love that part of it. And talk about that. I mean, you you say you're going directly to the family, and you look like you're all planned for it. You look at the very end. Of, I mean, you're holding up really well through the whole video. You're looking a little pissed at the end about what's going on there, which I don't blame you at all. Talk about your feelings, though, once you turn that video off and on that plane ride to your parents. How'd you hold up? Well, so um, in in the in context, like the the plane ride home, it, it sounds a lot more dramatic than it was. You know, Jackson is only like two hours from Nashville. However, there was a new flight service, like one of those small planes that had a special for 25 bucks, right, each way. And so I was like, oh, yeah. So I bought the, that plane <laughs> ticket each way. Um, I tell you that uh, I think that it was a really good idea because I was so scared of that plane ride <laughs> when I was <laughs> on it that I didn't have a ton of time to like just be selfishly, you know, focused process, on right. what, yeah, on on what had just happened to me. I was like in fight and survival mode on this plane, you know. Um, oh my goodness, that's funny. I, I've never taken that. I've never taken that flight again. Uh, it was an experience, but you know, walking outside the doors when the very last thing that I said in the video. Um, some people, I think, on YouTube have taken that as if I was blaming God. The, the exact phrase was what I said was, uh, in all things, you know, give thanks. Thanks, God. That was actually from my upbringing in church as a kid that I um, – it was the – you know, it was something that came on uh, my heart, and it was something that I was sincere about, that no matter what happens to you in your life, um, you know, I was taught as a kid to always give thanks. That, you know, it was, very, you know, it was scripture, um, and, and you know, I have a really and, – and still do. I have a really deep, deep faith, and so I was sincerely saying thank you, God, um, not because of the diagnosis, but because we're supposed – you know, I, I was taught to give thanks in all things. So that's kind of that explanation on that. It wasn't like blaming any – you know, obviously God didn't have sex with somebody. I did. Um, and And so – yeah, that that was just part of it. Um, but when I turned the camera off, I I was so focused on the plan that I had uh, that I had that I had initiated, which was to get home to my hometown right. in front of my family and give them the news that that it didn't stop um, and the plan didn't stop until I, you know, closed my eyes that that night when I got home. Right. Okay. Great.
Yeah, I'm glad you said that because yeah. I'm so I have such bad hearing, and I guess I'm so vain. I thought you said thanks, Scott. Like Scott's the one that gave me HIV or something. So I was all messed up. Never mind. I'm glad you cleared that up. I was blaming myself for a brief moment there. So I'm very happy for the Scots of the world that it's not our fault. Yay! There you um, go. There you go. Let's get into the advocacy a bit. You come back here from Tennessee now, and you start this advocacy. You had an amazing TED Talk. I'm a huge TED Talk watcher. I probably watch at least one or two a week. Um, You've been a GLAAD nominee for all you've done. Um, Your blog has won Best Blog in 2017, Best HIV Blog. Talk about your journey into becoming the speaker and advocate. Um, What's it been like for you? Uh, What's the learning process been? What's been some of the great things that have actually come from this disease? And what's been kind of the things you've learned about yourself, good or bad? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that is a huge uh, question. Um, I mean, you compounded everything in there. So I, I guess you're getting me back for, the, for saying Scott at the end of my video. Um, <laughs> you can go one at a time and take your time. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, I – you know, I didn't plan to be an HIV activist. I never intended to to be somebody that, that people look to to speak up on issues that were important or to um, be, you know, this, like, sexual health influencer. I started because I just wanted to share my story, and I wanted to do it in a way that was authentic and real um, and accurate. I didn't want anyone to tell my story um, besides me, I wanted to be the first one to do it. And so that's why I started the blog. Now, six months after I started, uh, I'm still josh.com. Like I had a real big problem on my hands because I was done talking about myself, um, per se. I mean, how many times can I just tell people when I'm living with HIV, uh, that I, that I started opening the the blog and platform for other people to start sharing their journey and their stories, um, as well as being somebody that, uh, you know, I, I get off on like scooping people like, you know, I have a, <laughs> a, a journalism degree. And so being able to scoop national, big national news organizations uh, on, you know, HIV related news and, and like that just really excited me. But I also get bored really easily. And so that is why I had all these different avenues of trying to reach people and share this, you know, this message of just living well. I mean, if you boil my advocacy down to one thing, it's just encouragement for people that are living with HIV to continue to live really, really well in spite of having HIV. Um, And so that. All of that aside, that's where like any of the the podcast stuff that I was doing or videos that have come out or um, writing. I mean, I'm a terrible writer, but it all comes from that desire of like me just naturally being a nerd for technology and being an early adopter. So I didn't know how to publish an ebook, and so I wrote two ebooks just to get them published. I couldn't get a speaking gig until I had a book. Well, I'm like, okay, well then I published a picture book. I guess nobody checks when they start looking at, like, for speakers. They just saw, oh, he's an author. Well, my first book was literally a picture book. <laughs> but I was like, I, I have to have that. a book in order to get speaking gigs. I got approached uh, by the TEDx people here in Nashville to, um, to give a talk 
And, you know, I'm going to be real honest here. I said yes before I even really knew what it was. I just thought, oh, great, yeah, this is cool. I'll do it. I had seen a couple, like, TED talks and TEDx talks online, but um, I didn't know that it – this is the biggest secret of my advocacy. I didn't know that they weren't teleprompted. Did you know that? I, talks, I did. TEDx talk. I, I didn't know it until okay, I went to my know. first one, but I did not know that at okay. first, no. Okay. Well, I think they should include that information in the invitation, okay? <laughs> right? Because oh, God. I every video that I do is teleprompted. Like literally I write the script out and I have a teleprompter. Even when Vine was a thing back, you know, several years ago and they're like 7-second videos or something, I everything is teleprompted because that is where I'm comfortable and that is the easiest to edit, right? Well, I said yes to this talk in Nashville, and I didn't know that it wasn't teleprompted. And so the when they first called and everybody was on the line, I was excited and green. I asked that question. Well, great. Where are the teleprompters? Like, are they in the front or on the side, or or how are we doing that? And they started laughing. It was like, oh no, this is all you know. This is a memorized talk. And I was like, oh god. <laughs> oh my god. Oh no. Yeah. So. <laughs> You know, like that part was nerve-wracking, um, but the experience of giving a talk in front, you know, in that in that venue and in that context with the with that group of people was really really um, amazing, and it was inspiring to to be able to walk away with a cool video that has now been shared by you know the TED organization and and really cool images and and going through the process of you know of getting to do something that I was really scared of, which was giving a, you know, a memorized talk like that. Um, right. But I think it also really helped me get ready for other speaking gigs. So when I've gone to uh, schools or universities and, and been able to, you know, stand in front of people and, and just talk openly and honestly about my journey and, and what I'm about. Uh, I think that that the TED actually helped with that. Um, and bet, yeah. been really yeah, there's been really big news in the HIV space in the past couple of years. Um, you know, I'll be the first to say that when I was negative, I, I'm ashamed, but it happened. You know, I, if somebody would tell me that they were uh, like undetectable or HIV positive on a dating website or a dating app, like I did exactly what I beg people not to do now, which is I blocked people. Because I was so scared of HIV that I thought that that was the way to handle it, that if mm. it was out of sight and out of mind, that it wouldn't be my problem. Now, I was wrong. Blocking people isn't like a prevention method. It doesn't work, um, <laughs> especially because you know, 20% of gay men, according to a survey out of the UK last year, like 20% of gay men have never even been tested. So right. when they say negative, they don't really even know the answer. So, like, it just doesn't work that way. But because of that, um, you know, all of those experiences, it allowed me to create this platform that then opened up to a, a crazy ton of opportunity and a really honest, like, invested audience. And, and followers that I consider my friends on all the social platforms. Um, and people have t 
told me, you know, the day that I was diagnosed, I was the only person that I knew that was HIV positive. You know, now mm-hmm. fast forward, you know, right. seven years, I've literally talked to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and heard their stories in Nashville and Tennessee in the U.S., even outside of the country. And, um, and people now look to me as, as a responsible kind of party of having, you know, of, and, and people look to me for my opinion on HIV-related stuff. And so in the past couple of years, I got the chance to, um, you know, help out and get on board early with the U equals U campaign, undetectable equals untransmittable. What that means is somebody that is living with HIV that has an undetectable viral load, which is the goal. If you get on, you know, HIV meds, you'll become undetectable. That that if somebody's undetectable, they cannot transmit the virus to their sexual partner, even right. without a condom or prep. Like that, it, that news. It's huge. And so because of all of these steps that I took with my advocacy, I was able to get and work with these individuals that were kind of launching this informational campaign and movement at the very beginning. And that's been really, really rewarding. Um, and I think it was from, from that, from those kind of things that, um, that I got the attention of Dating Positives, uh, which is I want to a, talk about Dating Positives for just a second because it's yeah. great. Uh, great organization, but I want to go back and reverse this a second because uh, okay. when you were diagnosed, there wasn't prep. There wasn't prep seven years ago. So talk about right. dating life immediately after um, a diagnosis. Were you scared to death to even approach it, or what was? How did you kind of mentally get through that in the beginning? Yeah, I mean that. It, well, how I mentally got through it was uh, right after diagnosis, then, you know, I wasn't interested in having sex at all um, with that kind of desire immediately. Now, it returned rather quickly, but, you know, early on, right after diagnosis, like having sex, I, you know, I was afraid of myself, let alone like absolutely mm-hmm. terrified that I could actually expose somebody or infect somebody. Um, and right. so that was the last thing that was immediately, immediately on my mind. Um, like I said, that changed, but, but I was terrified not so much of just the stigma or people rejecting me. I was scared that I, one was, you know, I, I didn't want to die, and I certainly didn't want to do anything that would expose anybody or put anybody at risk. And that actually right. statistically, according to research, that people that are living with HIV actually overstate their infectionness um, because they're so aware and so scared that they could infect somebody and, and they don't want anyone to ever experience what we've gone through with the diagnosis. And so it was a real, um, it was a real growing up moment for me to realize that I, one, I wasn't invincible and two, now my body uh, had the potential you know, or at least in my mind, to be this viral creature, and I didn't want to hurt anybody. And so, mm, yeah. um, you, you know, that's, that is the kind of a self-stigmatization, but it certainly isn't helped with the very, very crude comments of people, like, you know, sending all HIV-positive people to an island and then, you know, killing right. off, and that would end the epidemic. You know, like, so all of those things weren't, very helpful. And I also think that that's too why 
mental health is such uh, an important part of the discussion with HIV, particularly after someone is diagnosed, because in that first year after diagnosis, people, uh, you know, you are five times more likely to commit or attempt suicide um, than the mm. general population. And so, like, it's a, it was a really, I think, hard moment uh, to live through, but, um, but I did. And I made it out on the other side. And, and now with the U equals U campaign and movement, like I feel free. Like I, you know, people, of course, there's stigma that still exists, but um, I reject that. Like I'm not allowing stigma to speak into my life. I'm not infecting anybody. I'm healthy. I'm the healthiest that I've ever been. I've go, I go to the doctor more than anybody that I know. <laughs> you know, I've tested for everything more than anybody that I know. Um, but yeah, you're right. Prep wasn't available. If prep was available, I would have been on it. I was a great candidate because I slept around a lot. Um, and and not only would I be a great candidate because of the risk, but because it prevents HIV. So I'm not trying to associate right. prep as sleeping around a lot. That's stigmatizing. My point is is that I. Uh, I was somebody that because I was at risk for HIV, I should have been on PrEP. Um, it wasn't around when I, when I was uh, diagnosed. That is the luck of the draw. You know, I think it was like the, later that year that PrEP actually was approved. And that's one of those moments where you hit your head and you're like, dang, man, <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Um, but because of, my diagnosis, I was really, really actually well-informed on PrEP before everyone else. And so I was able to help kind of um, with the rollout and community advocacy for people to talk to their doctors about it. And also to challenge um, you know, big insurance companies and big corporations that were refusing to cover this medication for people that were negative. Um, right. And, and, you know, looking at people and going, oh, you should use a condom. Well, you know, frankly, like, besides condoms not being approved for anal sex, they're only approved for vaginal intercourse by the FDA. Like, condoms haven't thwarted the HIV epidemic at all. Um, so they may work for some people, but there's a whole lot of people that condoms only or being the only option isn't effective. And so that's mm -hmm. why I was excited that PrEP came came out and – um and I'm really excited that, that it continues to grow and people um, every day are becoming more and more aware. And, and we just got more work to do. We got to get more people on it. We got to get access to marginalized communities. And, you know, the work never ends. <laughs> well said. All right, well, let's transition to Dating Pauses. Fantastic organization and website. Talk about how you came across this and you end up becoming their spokesperson, which is great. Yeah, no, so Dating Positives has um, been a really, really exciting opportunity for me. So they approached me and just reached out to me, um, and uh, I hadn't heard of their site, and for good reason. They just launched, and they said that they were launching this new dating website for, for positive uh, people. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Uh, I was single. I'm like, hey, I, you know, I'm not going to say no to the opportunity to find a date. Um, but, <laughs> w 
But dating positive is not only for people that are living with HIV. There's a variety of other um, STIs. But the main focus of these dating positives is really what they're doing on Waxo.com. So it's spelled like wax, W-A-X, and then O-H.com, uh, which is the like multimedia community um, for LGBTQIA positive that uh, that have been actively engaged um, and talk about like sexual health in a really smart and cool way. There, uh, you know, I've written some stuff and done some videos on Waxo.com, but even you know, prominent writers like uh, Zachary Vane, he is now contributing to this publication online. And so it's yeah, you can get a date. You can sign up if you want to hook up or if you want a date or if you want a friend or, or you just want to see what it's about. That's Dating Positive. If you just want to find out more information about the LGBTQIA positive you know, community or issues that are important to us, whether it be about sexual health or you know, uh, just how to be a good person or get through life, that is the Waxing.com nice. <laughs> connection. Nice. Yeah. And, and – and so, um, actually, there's. Uh, I'm going to announce today that Dating Positive's uh, online magazine, Waxo, is a media sponsor for New York uh, City World Pride on June the 30th, which is going to be a heck of a lot of fun, Pride Fest. And they're going to have a booth at the parade. And, um, and yeah. Are they sending so, you out there? Are they going to send you there? Uh, of course. Do you think they're going to be at Pride? You know, World Pride, New York City World Pride as a media sponsor, and not have me there. They better. They better. I'm gonna say, I'm coming. I'm coming. Nice. (laughs) But they. I don't uh, like it. They're gonna uh, announce. They 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 told me that additional details are gonna be released on Waxo and then on their social media channels, which is at Dating Positives on Twitter and Instagram. So, uh, yeah. So that's fantastic. I love that. Yeah. That is so great. Um, yeah, New York is going to be bustling this year, man, between World Pride, regular Pride, and 50th anniversary of Stonewall. You're going to be, uh, you're going to be having a good time had by all, my friend. It's going to be good. Good I, for you. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. You know, New York is so much fun to visit. <laughs> you know, remember I lived there and I didn't like it. But going back for a visit, you know, I walk in there you the, go. the New York. I walk in like I own it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just, I like it. Yeah, you know. Now I yeah, did see, see I did everybody. see one of your videos on Wax over there, so I do have to ask you. You kind of promised yeah. yourself in 2019 you were going to give four goals for yourself, and I have to test you on how you're doing on your goals. You were going to do okay. be less picky and go on more dates. How has that worked out so far? How many dates have we been on in 2019? Okay. So, well, I'm not going to tell you exactly how many dates because I don't know. I mean, I could count them up. But I can tell you this. Yes, I have expanded the normal like, the, or the previous normal, uh, like, closed-minded, like, focus of what I thought my type was. And I tell you that this year has been the most fun of dates that I've ever had because I, I don't research people down on, on social media before 
you know, I go with him on a right. public day, you know, like, yeah, like I don't, I don't do what I used to do, which was, you know, really study every tweet or Facebook or Instagram uh-huh. post they have. Like I'll, I allow people to just introduce themselves to me and, you That's know, a whole other so problem had, besides uh, being cute and HIV, my friend. We'll have to talk about that off air. Because I'm glad we're switching <laughs> that up. <laughs> yeah, so I've That's gone funny. on a ton more dates, and I have not gone on any coffee dates. Good for you. Now, I like coffee dates, but I understand where you're coming from on there because um, I just I am a coffee feed. Now, how many people have you actually asked? You said you were going to be a little more assertive this year. Are you doing better in that area? No. <laughs> no. So I Not No, sure. yeah, I haven't I I know. I haven't made the progress that I need to make. Um but that's why it's a goal, right? Uh I committed to do it and I still got years and years. But I can tell you that um that I'm trying to do better. Good. And you have reminded um, me of that goal now and I'm embarrassed, but I'm I'm being honest. <laughs> I haven't done as well as I should have. But I will. There's no shaming, no shaming, no embarrassment. I'm just checking in here. Okay. And then finally, okay. you said you were going for the date, not the hookup. So you, you sounds like you found some quality dates out of it and had some fun. You've had some date dates. Uh, yes, yes, that is true. That is <laughs> okay. I've done very I've done cool. Hey, I've had those. <laughs> there you go. All right, we're running out of time, and I have about another page worth of questions for you. So we're going to have to have you back sometime here in the near future. But do me a favor, talk about any upcoming events. I know that uh, you have something coming on through Dating Positives. Um, Talk about that for June, unless that's what we're talking about for the Big World Pride. Give everyone your blog website. Give a quick talk about the Digital Encouragement Wall and where they can find you on social media. Okay, cool. So, uh, again, I'm Josh Robbins. My blog is imstilljosh.com. You can find me on any relevant social media platform at imstilljosh. Um, If you want to find videos that I'm making or producing for Dating Positives, they're all on waxo.com. So it's W-A-X, like wax, and then O-H.com. And Dating Positives always shares or retweets um, all those videos on their social platforms, which are at Dating Positives on Instagram and Twitter. So, uh, it, and the last thing is if you want to go on a date with someone really, really cool and awesome, maybe me, you just have to go to datingpositives.com and sign up to be a member. So that is There you that. go. It, and then June 30th, Pride Fest, New York City World Pride. Waxo is the media sponsor, Dating Positives Online Magazine, and we will have a booth at the parade. So there you go. Nice. Super duper. Josh, it has been so great getting to know you. We definitely have to have you back soon. Thanks for being on the Left of Straight show, my friend. You uh, are so welcome. Thank you for, uh, for having me on. I really appreciate it. And, hey, I just want to brag one more time that I'm in shorts and t-shirt right now. Uh, you know what? <laughs> we had talked about. <laughs> you were doing so good for a while there, and now you brought me back there. So we're going to have little issues once we get off air here in a second. <laughs> Please uh, stay on the line you for me, my me. friend. You embarrass me. I embarrass we're... you. I will. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, man, it's been so great talking to you. Uh, Stay on the line for me. We're going to talk off air in a second. Guys, a big shout-out and a big thank you to both my guests today. I really appreciate Josh coming on. Thank you so much for Hayden coming on early. We're going to play out with another Hayden, Hayden Joseph, in just a couple seconds with Thrill of the Chase. Be sure to be back here tomorrow, 2 o'clock Pacific, 5 o'clock Eastern time. We're going to be talking to my good buddy Jay Knight out of uh, New York who has a brand-new single out. And then I'm going to be reuniting uh, a couple of my favorite Gleeks. We're going to have Artie and Tina, good old uh, Jenna Ushkowitz, and Kevin McHale from Glee coming on the show to talk about their new podcast, Showman. So it's going to be a great show tomorrow. So let's go ahead and play off here. Thanks for listening to Left of Straight uh, Radio right here on Left of Straight Radio Network. Have a great day, everybody. This was fun I hope we do it again But make me wait a while Before giving in Cause if it's too easy I am gonna get bored Give me a lift So I'm bound to one more I'm not a fan of feeling sure It ain't higher Thank you.